and sit down. Hey everybody, you're watching Not A Real Veteran Podcast. I am Braxton Voorhees and today we are without my best bud Will um, here in Oklahoma. We're having some winter storms and he is without power. So uh, today I have all the power. Uh, you can throw an F in the chat for Will uh, or message him on Facebook and tell him way to not show up. So we're going to get right into it. Thomas Daniel Queter can't stand being stuck in a wheelchair. He also can't stand the government and bad policies, and that's why he's running for state senate in the state of New York. There's no quitting Queter, and if you visit Tom52.com, uh, you will see that. And you know, if you don't live in his district, his state, you can't vote for him, but you can follow his campaign. And you probably want to because Thomas is a really exceptional uh, policymaker. He's a very promising candidate, the candidate these guys deserve. Also, Crowned by Green, book three of the Royal Gold series, Mr. Jack Casey, J.K. Rowling of our time. Um, you can buy his books on Amazon.com for Kindle, or you can get the paperback version. Two eyes, two ears, a chin, a mouth, ten fingers, two nipples, a butt, two kneecaps. I've just described to you the Alaskan raven, and the reward for its capture, all the riches in Alaska. Check out the Alaskan Raven on Facebook. They're at Slick Crow if you need to find them. And they're a meme page. And boy, they make some spicy memes. The Alaskan Raven. Facebook. At Slick Crow. Next up, we got James Toyer. You can see his website, Toyer4ky.com. Putting people over politics. James Toyer. Running out of the great state of Kentucky. So do check him out. Again, that is toyerforky.com. And uh, like I said, I'm just boogieing right along without Will here. I get right into the reason you all showed up. And I know it's our guest that did it because our live viewership is up 400% already. So raise cattle, not taxes. You mess with the bull, you get the horns. 
everybody. Let me get rid of James Toyer. There we go. So I can bring on Bull Johnson. And way to put the pressure on, man. 400%? 400%. That's ish. That's because my math is terrible, but uh, it seems to be 400%. <laughs> man, how is it in Minnesota? Cold. <laughs> Cold's about it. I mean, we're... Uh... Been in the negatives. We'll be in the negatives for the next few days. Negative thirty-one is supposed to be our low in a couple of days, but it's supposed to it's supposed to get real warm next week. Probably about thirty. Yeah, uh, definitely will not get that cold here. It's uh, I think it's going to get in the twenties tonight, and that's it's cold enough for everybody. Um, Oklahoma and Minnesota, they have some things in common, though. Minnesota has the most lakes of any state. Oklahoma has the most man-made lakes, so also got a lot of lakes. But as far as the climate goes, it's pretty different. Yeah, just a little. Just a little. Um, all of your animals, what's their situation like? Are all of them do all right in the cold? Yeah, I mean, when we decided to start this farm up, and I started deciding what breeds we were going to raise, that's something we took into account. I mean, the uh, our cattle are Belted Galloway. It's a breed that grew up in the uh, Scottish Highlands. So, I mean, they're, they're prepared for this type of winter. Uh, the pigs that we raise, I uh, actually bought the genetics from a guy in Vermont who has some fairly similar uh, weather patterns. But again, I wanted, I wanted genetics that were ready for this kind of weather. Uh, and, and even the goats. The goats, I mean, this, we, we put them in a barn this year, but it's the first year in three years that we did that. Uh, and that was just basically because I didn't have time this past year with the campaign to get their their housing uh draft free so that's the big thing with with most of these animals you have to give them a place to get out of the wind mm. uh since i didn't get around to doing that they got to stay in the barns uh they're kind of they haven't quite decided if they like that yet but when i opened up the barn door and they stuck their head out today they decided they liked it <laughs> yeah i mean good on you for that uh about how many heads of goat do you have we went down to about 25 head this year. Uh, originally, I wanted to bring go into winter at 40 or 50 head, but the, we had a real bad drought last year. So basically, the price of my hay doubled. Last year, I was paying $70, $80 a ton. This year, it went up to $150. Um, corn prices doubled from what it was two years ago. Two years ago, I was about three, $350, $360 a uh, bushel. Now, at seven, it was up to eight, eight plus. So with do all you that, eat goats? Uh, I do. Uh, oh, but yeah. I tell you what, though, I mean, right now I don't because it's too expensive for me to eat my own goats. Not compared to really? what I can get for them at the market. I mean, uh, give you an idea. I go to an auction with a goat, and it's going to co- probably bring me in close to two fifty per live per pound live weight. Cattle's been going for sixty or seventy cents. It's going for four times as much as cattle at the auction. Uh, what's the reason for that? Supply and demand. I mean, that's what it all comes down to is United States. I want to say imports 30 to 40% of the goat that's consumed in the United States. I mean, we, with the influx of, of refugees and, and immigrants, there's a big demand for it. And a lot of people just haven't made that switch in production. I mean, they're all in on cattle or whatever else. And that's one of the things we we're starting to do now next year. We're going to start weaning ourselves. We're going to downsize our cattle herd so we can increase our goat herd next year. 
because also when you have these big jump ups in in feed prices don't quite hurt as much when you're feeding 50 goats as compared to 10 cows mm-hmm. um the cows that you raise are they for the same purpose because i think i'm familiar are they the long-haired ones yep uh okay. well they, they they have a double coat uh they're the oreo cows <laughs> they're white uh black with a white stripe down the middle but yeah during th- the winter they'll get an extra shaggy coat that they lose during the summer and they look real slick in the winter in the summer but like right now you look at them and they're like all curly. Mm-hmm. I think I know the cows you're talking about. And are they the exact same dairy and beef cows that, you know, uh, tons of other people raise? Same no, purpose? No, not quite. They're, they're uh, same purpose for the most part. But the these are beef cows. Uh, when you have the, the, the black one with the white stripe and dairy, those are usually du- Dutch belted. Which, I mean, uh, was actually in the genetics of the belted Galloway 400 years ago. That's where they got the stripe from is the, uh, or it's assumed that they got it from the, the Dutch belted breed. Wow. Um, I only wrote one letter home, uh, during basic training. Uh, my family was not very happy about that. It was just, uh, really stressful cause you had to march, um, you know, a couple blocks and, you know, hand put your letter in the mailbox. And I wasn't about that cause that was just an opportunity to get, you know, yelled at. So, um, after a few weeks of begging, I wrote one letter home and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the nicest considering because I think one of the only things I said was I asked my mom to like, uh, Elsie the cow on Facebook because uh, every day for basically three meals a day I ate uh, Borden yogurt and that's what the yogurt I would read the yogurt cup and that's about all it said was like Elsie the cow on Facebook. <laughs> Did she do it? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so after all that. But um, the you're going to school right now for animal science, right? Actually, I just graduated. I graduated in May. Congratulations. Uh, you're very, very learned at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Right now. That was my, that's my third degree. And, uh, I need to go update, up back and update the uh, webpage. I'm not sure if I've updated on that yet. I don't think so. I checked it. I think, uh, bachelor's in human resources, master's yep. in conflict resolution with a focus on, uh, or no, I'm sorry, master's in international affairs with international the relations. international relations uh with the focus on conflict yeah. concentration on conflict and then now uh animal science yes, sir do you think um the owner of my company his daughter goes to school either for that or something very similar and she uh wants to own a ranch one day is that something you feel is very necessary or it just helps or depends on the person depends on the person and their background uh for myself it was it may not have been necessary, but I, I had no background, but I did a lot of self-learning. Uh, it didn't help me as much just simply because of the way I raise my animals. Okay. You go to college for an animal science degree, they're teaching you what it takes to, to work with animals in a confinement factory type setting. Ah. Everything I do is, is, nat- is as natural as possible. I mean, my pit, my 20 degrees to 30 degrees below, guess what? My pigs are outside. They're not in a confinement facility. Uh, if it's too cold, you don't see them. They stay in their piggy pile, three three tons of piggy pile, <laughs> if, if not more, and uh, they'll come out when the weather, when the next day if the weather clears up a little bit. Um, so it doesn't really, didn't really go as much into 
it's a small holding. It's just more say okay in in a factory in a thousand cattle herd. This is what you do and so forth. So it's uh, but I got a lot out of it still. I mean, it's like anything else. It's what you get out of it. Honestly, they got a lot out of it for me. Because even the instructors didn't have experience in doing what, what I'm doing. Wow. And uh, just a just, uh, couple of days ago, I had uh, a class from uh, University of Minnesota Crookston where I got my degree. Uh, as part of animal science, you have a capstone course where you basically go and do your own your farm plan on if you had an operation, but you also go out and evaluate an operation. And uh, they actually brought the class out to my place to, to show them around for their uh, their capstone class. So they, they're going to do their project on my farm, and uh, we'll see what they say in about two weeks. <laughs> Very it nice. Must okay. It must went okay, because one of them asked me for a job if I get elected when she le- when, uh, when she left. Like, you're going to need somebody to take care of your farm when you go to, con- go to D.C.? Yep. Sounds like a uh, – yeah, they're not wrong, so it sounds like a pretty enterprising individual. Um, Tub – uh, he wanted a little bit of clarification. So, do they actually teach any of the actual work of it? Yes, they they do do some. I mean, the uh, there's a couple classes. There there are some hands-on classes. I mean, we did shearing sheep. We did uh, artificial insemination uh, for for cattle. Uh, we did ultrasounds. Um, I mean, there was a in one case where uh, horses passed away. We were out there doing the autopsy on it. Mm. So they they do do a lot of the some of the hands on. Uh, so yeah, I mean it's a, it's a good program. I mean uh, especially like your anatomy classes and all that. That instructor is like super super uh, hands on. <laughs> Very nice. Um, that's something I'm vaguely interested in more and more every day. But that's actually I mean, not farming necessarily, but homesteading is pretty mainstream. You know that's kind of what my Facebook feed is. All these uh, people that are doing. Uh, kind of homesteading videos and uh, yeah, I'm getting more and more interested in that stuff every day. I'll tell you what, I I actually, before I I moved over to run for office, I actually ran a uh, Facebook group for homesteaders in Northern Minnesota. And uh, I got control of that group because the person who was in charge of it disappeared and just hit, picked me out of the blue. said, this is now your site. Hmm. Uh, That was about four years ago. And in that four years, we went from a hundred to, 35 or 4,000 followers on that page. I mean, and that, and that's, we're not doing any kind of marketing or anything else. That's just people organically coming because they have that, that interest. Oh, uh, what's the I, name of that page? Uh, hold on a second. I'll tell you. <laughs> it's like anything else when you, when you think about it, you can't you can't remember how it's worded. I know I've had like four or five freaking uh, alerts for it today. Northern. MN Homesteading Group. Well, I am not in Northern MN, but uh, I'm still going to give that page a follow. Oh, please do. I'm I mean, sure a lot of stuff that comes up is, you know, it's not necessarily focused towards us. I mean, it's great in the fact that you, 
people who are up here can sometimes get uh, animals sold and so forth through there if you're very creative in your wording. Uh, but again, it's, it's a lot of people just who are interested in the lifestyle. They're getting in there and say, what do we have to do? I get contacted from my some of my old soldiers, my old battle buddies now going, dude, you, you're living our dream. Why in the frick do you want to go to D.C.? <laughs> okay. It's like, dude, uh, I don't really want to. I just kind of feel like I have to if we're going to fix this problem. Uh, but, yeah, so, so many of them were like, yeah, you are living our dream. You're, you're out. You're retired. You, you're providing for yourself for the most part. I mean, I don't remember when was the last time I bought protein. Uh, we talked about this beforehand. And originally, I'm from Louisiana. Yeah, when I when I need shrimp or something like that, I go down with a with a ice chest full of pork and trade one of my old buddies who was a shrimper. I go down there with the ice chest of pork, come back with an ice chest of shrimp. Hmm. Okay, but you just barter, you trade. I mean, that is the dream. Um, how is your campaign going? Would you say it's going all right? We're at kind of a lull right now. Uh, because we haven't got, we're going to redistricting and we haven't gotten the final maps yet. Uh, that's not, they don't have to come out with that for another two weeks till the middle of the month. Uh, we're assuming it's going to be similar to last year, but at the same time, my current district, 38 counties, 42,000 square miles. It is freaking huge. Uh, and also quite honestly, I mean, one of the reasons we've slowed down right now is funding. Uh, funding has slowed down. Again, a lot of people are waiting to see what happens with redistricting. Uh, and I mean, right, and right now there's a there's a lot of, of people looking for donations. Uh, caucus season just opened up here. So before, last year, I was really the only one throwing Facebook's ads and stuff like up, that up there. And uh, now every time I open it up, there's somebody, and it's usually not even somebody in my area, my state, popping up for Please support me and, and blah blah blah. And I'm like, dude, you're not even in my state. I mean, if you're <laughs> if you're in if you're in my state, even if you weren't in my district, I can kind of look at it. But yeah, so there's a lot of people with their hands out right now, so it makes it it makes it it makes it on that part rough. Uh, I did spend a lot of time with a group called uh, Vets for uh, Votes for Vets this morning. Uh, of course, you have Vote Vets, which is kind of the Democrat uh, liberal page for veterans running for office. Uh, Vote Vets just started up there for somebody who's a little bit more physically conservative. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this was started up by that Marine Lieutenant Colonel who told Biden to, that they really screwed up Afghanistan's withdrawal. Okay, yeah. Stu Schuler. They started a pack for that. And uh, so I spent a little bit of time talking to them this morning. They're not quite sure if they're... Uh, they're ready to go against some for somebody who's not a, a Republican. Yeah. But uh, I was, they were definitely in the, the real discussions on it. Uh, and they said, you know what, if, if it wasn't a, a Republican incumbent, they'd have probably said, sure, hell yeah, we'll back you. But because there's a veteran incumbent, they're like, eh, do we really want to, even if she has a swamp monster, do we really want to stir that pot? Yeah. Um, so is he, he is uh, in charge of that pack. That's his baby. That, from from my understanding, from what I can see, it's his baby. He's a. Um, uh, it's a votesforvets.org. Uh, I said ever since he went viral, I said you know watch him and see what he does because um, 
whether you agree with him or not, whether what he said was, you know, actually the content of what he said, whether that was out of line or not. And I don't think the actual content of what he said was out of line. He wasn't, you know, he didn't say anything that was bad, but he knew, because I knew in the first 15 seconds, he's getting kicked out. You know, oh, as yeah. an officer, I knew in the first 15 seconds. Yeah, so he did too. And everybody was kind of praising him. And I was like, that's fine. If you agree with him, that's fine. Because I'm not saying I disagree with him in the least. But I wonder what he's posturing for because I knew in the first 15 seconds, oh, he's out the door. He, he had to have a plan. If he was going to get kicked out at 17 years as an 05, there had to be some kind of, of plan in the background in my mind because I think he's too smart for to not to. For sure. He's a pretty intelligent individual. For sure. And, you know, you have some generals and colonels. They get less uh, reprimanded for, uh, well, I don't even know if I can say what it is without uh, getting us flagged. But they do some pretty <laughs> heinous stuff, and there seems yeah. to be a pattern. And uh, they get reprimanded less than that. But, yeah, I oh, still yeah. knew he was he was really going to get slapped on the PP over that one. Well, again, especially because he wouldn't he wouldn't uh, let it go either. He might have mm-hmm. been able to go quietly, and if he would have let it go, they would have probably let him quietly retire. Uh, I mean, throw a, throw a Gomar in there, and so he know he wouldn't get promoted, so he'll get on the the bad boy list and still get to retire early. Mm-hmm. So, but he he wasn't gonna let it go. So, right. And yeah, I don't. I wasn't mad about what he said. I don't think hardly anybody was. I mean, no. you can't mess something up that badly and expect it not to be criticized. But you know, maybe you don't expect it from an O five. Yeah. Well, I mean, you don't expect it from the people currently serving. And if, right. if it's to the point where the people currently serving are, are broadcasting it out there, you know how bad it is. Yeah. I mean, you know how bad it is. I mean, look, we we back here and we were looking at that, going, "What the hell." I mean, this is not rocket science. You've been knowing for how long that you're leaving. How hard was it to do a gradual withdrawal over the past six months? You knew that's where you were going. Start pulling them in, pulling them in. I mean, you do it. I mean, the fact that they, they're like, oh, yeah, well, we didn't know it was going to, uh, they were going to fall that quickly. How do y'all not know? Every Joe who's been there knew that it was going to go as soon as we left. I mean, literally, you could look at pictures and you take a look for that morning and that afternoon, you'll see the same guy in different uniform. That morning, he was in an Afghan uniform. That afternoon, the same guy was in a Taliban uniform. They went home, changed clothes. <laughs> yep, absolutely crazy. Absolutely crazy. Yeah, terrible end to a terrible war. How much time did you spend over there? Okay, so my first time I spent a, spent a little bit over a year. Uh, that was just in Kuwait. I was working at the APOD, soldiers coming in and going out. Uh, second time I was there, I was in uh, Bakuba, Iraq area. And uh, that time I was only there for about a month and a half before my heart started acting up. Uh, and I ended up getting medevaced out of there. Uh, talk about a humbling experience. So my, I, I go to sick call because I'm not feeling well, and they come in there, and they look at me, yeah. it's like one doctor comes in, and a second doctor comes in, and a third doctor comes in. I'm like, what the frick? And they tell me, yeah, your heart's an AFib. We need to, you're going to be on the next bird. Get, is your, do you have a buddy here? I go, yeah, why? Because he needs to go get your shit. You're leaving. Oh, okay. 
medevac me out, go to a, I'm, I'm at Balad at the hospital now. And there's a squad of soldiers who are in there who got caught in an ambush. And we're all in the emergency room area. And here's this general going around hearing everybody's story about how they got hit in that ambush. I'm just on the other side going, please, dude, don't come over here. Please don't come over here. You're right. talking to all these guys who just are here because of combat. My damn ticker wasn't working right. Okay, don't come here. Uh, but I tell you what, then uh, the, the uh, medevac me back to Walter Reed. I was in Walter Reed for a few days. and Like, you know what? We still can't get your heart right. We're going to have to send you back to the States at the Brooks Army Hospital. Well, on the bus going to the, the bird from uh, Walter, from, uh, from, uh, the hospital ran the hospital in Germany. I'm having a brain launch tool. Launch tool. There's a guy in there, a lieutenant, who uh, had both his feet blown off in an IED. IED went all under off under his feet. Now he's so doped up on morphine. But here, here he is going. Yeah, these guys are messing up. They are sending me to Walter Reed. I went to I went to school 30 minutes from there. there we're gonna be so much alcohol in Walter Reed. The whole whole hospital is gonna be drunk. And he's like, but you know what? I'm going to get there. They're going to put titanium feet on me. And I'm going to be back here three years or so, kicking down doors with titanium feet, baby. <laughs> and you know what? It's so hard to feel sorry for yourself because you're you're going back for a, an illness. When you have some guy like that who's got both his feet blown off, being like, I mean, just, oh, you know, I'll be back with titanium feet, baby. This is nothing but nothing but a bump. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's very humbling. I mean, it, it really is. I mean, it's really one of these things that make you oh, wow. I mean, and that's also one of the reasons why I think, I mean, we need to be very careful about what we do with our military. Because you have guys who are willing to do this, willing to do that. They're willing to spill their blood. Well, we got to be very judicious, judicious about how that blood is spilt. I mean, we're not we we're not the, the world's policemen. We've I mean, this thing with you with Ukraine starting to starting to kick up. People are like, what do we do here? What do we do? Like, dude, we've been in war for twenty freaking years. We need a break. That's a European problem. Let Europe handle it. We need time for our soldiers to rest, heal. We need maintenance time for our equipment. You can't keep a country at war constantly for 20 or 30 years without having major issues. And we're seeing those major issues. We're seeing 22 vets a day that commit suicide. Uh, and sometimes that's what I think, I mean, people tend to forget. I mean, these politicians we have in D.C. right now, when they, hear, when they think about going to war, they start looking, okay, how much is it going to cost for this? How much is it going to cost for this? They're looking at how much it's going to cost right now. They're not thinking how much this is going to cost 20 and 30 years down the road when you're having to care for these injured vets. They're not looking at 20 years, or 10 or 20 years down the road when you're having to provide all these medical services. Mm-hmm. Disability for the next 40 years because some the private got, got uh, crippled with an IED and now you're basically taking care of him the rest of his life. And uh, let's say, I mean, it's not it's not the most important aspect by any means, but it, could you put a price tag on the IEDs that they use? Is it like a fifteen dollar bomb, a fifty dollar bomb? I, I have no idea. I mean, that's a, that's not my spec, my area spec expertise. Sure, but I guarantee you they're not expensive. 
Yeah, it's not multi-millions dollar munitions. These are people with nothing. Mm. Blowing up our Humvees with... So, I mean, it's... it's I mean, yes, they are getting, they were getting help from other, other com- countries or other people, but no, I mean, they're not, it's, it's a, it's the whole thing when you're trying to, when, uh, you're an insurgent. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's why it's so hard to win a war with, with an insurgency. You never win because they just gradually wear you down with little hit here, a little cheap, a little thing there. Chris said they're pretty frugal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, very funny. That's a way to look at it. And yeah, yeah, it's terrible. Right now, the you know huge bulk of veteran medical fees, I think we're probably on to the Vietnam era veterans right now. But yeah, by the time the GWAT veterans uh, are the age that the Vietnam veterans are now, uh, it's going to be terrible. You know what? I, I, I'm actually thinking it's probably higher for the GWAT veterans. Hmm. Because the Vietnam veterans weren't taken care of when they got back. I mean, they weren't given the disability. They weren't, I mean, it's getting easier and easier to do your paperwork for disability and stuff like that. So, I mean, mm-hmm. we have a lot of people getting disability when they get out. So, I mean, I'd be willing to bet that that number is actually higher than what we're paying now than what, what the, the Vietnam vets are getting. And, and they're dying off. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're getting, I, I'm... I'm a GWAT vet and I'm 52 years old. So, I mean, a lot of these Vietnam vets are in their, are in their seventies. Yep. Um, you have a pretty nifty plan, uh, for curbing veteran suicides. Don't you, that you would take to DC with you? I got one. I've got something I'm trying. Uh, we're going to throw up against the wall, see if we can make it stick. Uh, basically what it would do is for every soldier, when we get out, they would automatic. So when you retire, you get Tricare for life. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, just just like your your regular Tricare insurance, but you get it for for life if you retire. What I would like to see is I would like to see a policy for Tricare for life for mental health given to every soldier when they get out, regardless. I don't care if you have something documented or not. Have that available so they can go outside the government system to get help. How are we going to pay, how do you pay for this? Well, you take the same money that as a soldier, they take out of us for Medicare, throw it, throw it into a pot of money to, to get the insurance for that. Uh, what I would like to also like to see is because they're already starting a TRICARE for life on every soldier for mental health. Take a look at the medical file when you're, when they're out processing anything that's on there for an injury, go ahead and say, put that under the TRICARE for life while you're there. You, I mean, a lot of these guys may end up in a situation where they don't even have to file. Everything's mm-hmm. done at ETS. Here it's all sent. It's covered. I mean, think of the the you think of the overhead we could save. I mean, just the the and and people are getting their their coverage as soon as they get out. They're not having to wait three, four, five, six months for the VA to finally decide whether something is service connected or not. You're looking at a freaking uh, medical form. You're looking at their ETS physical. You know if it was if it was if it was a uh, service connected or not. Sure. Doctor can write a letter. Everybody ETS so go through all the injuries and go through the file. This is this is this is adds what 20 30 minutes maybe to the ETS physical. But at the same time, I mean, those soldiers are taken care of from the day they get out. Um, Nick Sawwall over in Tennessee, he said that he saw a stat saying that two thirds of the suicides aren't even in the VA system. So, uh, that's another thumbs up for the automatic enrollment right there. Yep. 
I mean, we got we got to do something. I mean, that's uh, that's what I keep telling people. I mean, what we've been doing for the last twenty or thirty years isn't working. Mm. You can't just keep throwing money at the problem, thinking it's going to go. You have to have a system wide change. You have to think outside the box. Uh, anyway, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to come up. You know what? What was the old saying? Uh, if you always do what you've always done, you're always going to you'll always get what you always got. Mm-hmm. That's what I think people aren't aren't catching right now. I mean, it it frustrates me so much because every for national office, every politician, you look at their web page, and every damn one of them says we're going to take care of our veterans. Not one of them has a plan on how to do it. And after they're elected, you don't hear a word about it. But mm-hmm. every freaking one of them puts it on their web page. Yep, you are absolutely right. I mean, just just give me a plan. You know what? It doesn't even have to be a good plan, but at least show me you're thinking about it. Show me you're actually putting some brain power behind addressing this issue instead of just saying we're going to solve we're going to solve this problem. Um, I really hate to hopscotch this way because we're just talking about something so important and I'm going to talk do about something so do. silly, but man, your story about getting medevaced out of there, I had kind of the opposite experience if you take it at scale, because I can imagine, I mean, I knew exactly what you were talking about. That would be very humbling. I mean, very awkward almost. Um, and I mean, your condition was plenty serious, so it's not like it wasn't, but I mean, yeah, I was so far removed from any of that stuff. I can't even imagine seeing some of those uh, types of casualties, much less, you know, being uh, treated alongside them. But when I was in basic training, there's a week in your sixth week of training and it's a simulated deployment. All right. And uh, you only it's a week long and you only get to PT uh, twice. And, you know, we we were really missing the PT. Didn't think we would, but we were really missing it. We were just kind of going stir crazy, not having it. And we're doing a road run. And I'm on like the last stretch of this road run and there's a decline. And for some reason, I thought it would be wise to really uh, extend my stride. And my dumb ass, for somehow I landed squarely on the side of my foot. So all the weight goes down sideways. My ankle just snaps. I kind of flat tire. And, you know, when you're in basic training, the last thing you want to do is get hurt. You know what I mean? Because, oh, you're going to be on med hold for eight months before they let you continue. You know, you have all your family planning on coming to see you graduate. The last thing you want to do is, you know, get uh, taken out of training. So I tried to hobble off and I couldn't. And there was a, a training instructor right there and he saw it. And he's like, are you hurt? And I was trying to think of how I could say no. And he was, I'll go to the medical tent. Damn it. So I had to go to the medical tent and I had to wait for like two hours. And, you know, my ankle, I knew it wasn't broken. It was very badly sprained. And I finally uh, get to this guy and I tell him, you know, I, you know, just hurt my ankle. And he asked me, can you walk on it? Oh, yes, sir. And he's like, well, walk on it. And (laughs) terrible, terrible, terrible limp. I could, I could put weight on it for a fraction of a second. And he was like, oh, no, you can't. And he told me to take my shoe off. And it was already about the size of a baseball and it was starting to change color. And he's like, unfortunately, you know, we gave all of our ibuprofen to people with insect bites, so I don't have anything for you. So he wrapped it up, you know, tied as shit and told me, go wait outside at this bus stop. So I go outside, I wait for two hours for a bus to come and take me back to the, back to Lackland, because we were on a little annex of Lackland, Uh, go back to Lackland, go to the, uh, I can't remember what it was called, go to the little medical clinic there. And they asked what's wrong. And I said, I hurt my ankle. And uh, this is me being kind of dumb because they asked me if I rolled it. I was like, I don't know what I did to it. I just know I heard it. And they're well, okay, you probably rolled it. So they uh, 
I had to wait for another two hours, went back and got x-rays. They told me it wasn't broken. You need to go to this different medical clinic. You need to go to the actual hospital. <laughs> All right, cool. So I was going to leave and the airman at the front desk stopped me. Oh, you can't go. There's lightning within five. So you got to wait here, you know, until the storm passes or whatever. So I sat in the waiting room for another two hours. Uh, I think my foot was black because I didn't have any circulation because that one medic wrapped it up so good. And yeah, finally, by the end of the day, uh, yeah, pretty terrible experience, but it wasn't bad enough. I think I'd already taken like a pretty official uh, PFT PT mm-hmm. test. So they weren't worried about, you know, already could graduate. And uh, after you get back from that mock deployment, um, your seventh week is just uh, wall locker inspections, marching yeah. inspections. It's just a bunch of inspections. And then eighth week is graduation week. So they said I'd already done enough of training that, you know, I didn't have to get held back, which was awesome. But yeah, I was, I was pretty upset that they gave all the ibuprofen to people with bug bites. <laughs> I tell you what, though, I mean, it, it, people still look at me weird when I get a bottle of ibuprofen and they're like 200 milligram tablets and I'm like traveling four of them or so at a time. And like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> like, dude, this was this was the minimum. I mean, 800 milligrams is just how they came in the military. <laughs> yes. Um, also in basic training and uh, Will, Will was in my basic training. That's where I met Will. Um, we had three guys that I can remember off the top of my head that were from Minnesota. Um, Jacobson, I don't remember where he was from. He didn't have much of an accent, uh, only on certain words, you know, so he basically was from Wisconsin. But we had this guy, Vaughn, and Vaughn sounded like he was from a different planet. He was always, <laughs> hey, pipe down, Bechter. And, you know, you'd ask him, like, dude, like, what's your, like, where are you from? Like, oh, you know Duluth? I've heard of it. I don't know where it's at. And he'd start telling you all this stuff. And I was like, well, I don't know. I don't get it. And uh, there's another guy, Jerosh. He was from right outside of Minneapolis or St. Paul. He was from a city. And we asked him, like, what's his deal? Oh, I don't know what his deal is. And he kind of explained to us. He was basically from like a coal mining town. Uh, yeah. Very, 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 Iron very, very rural. But yeah, I mean, but th- that was hilarious because he had the thickest accent of anybody I ever met in my life. Yeah, strong Norwegian accent. Mm-hmm. It's funny that that sticks around for so long. Well, you got to remember too, up there is also close to the Canadian border. So there's Mm -hmm. a little bit of a mixing of accents up in that area. Right. Uh, Very interesting. Everything I've heard, I think, uh, of Minnesota, I think I would like it just fine. Seems like a pretty cool place. It is. I mean, the, uh, we're like everywhere else though. You have your different worlds between the cities and, and greater Minnesota. That's sure. That's one of the big battles we fight is we don't really understand the city life and city life don't really understand us, but they're because they have the bigger population. They try to, to, to run the whole state like they want to run the cities and it just, it doesn't go over very well <laughs> to say the least. Also, this is tying a few things together because I believe he's from Minnesota and he was in the army. Um, have you heard of Derek Wida? A uh, pretty famous not. veteran. He was from one of the storied airborne companies. I don't know if it was the, which one is uh, Fort Bragg? 82nd. Is that the 82nd? I think he was in the 82nd. Um, he got shot through the knee in Iraq. And, um, you know, it was a pretty rough deployment for them. I think the place they were staying at in town got mortared like almost every day. Um, uh, but he got shot through the knee. So it was really terrible. He got flown back to the States and uh, he was at Walter Reed and he kept telling him, just cut it off give me a prosthetic and, you know, in a few months I can go back, you know, and I can be back with my unit. And they, you know, they told them, well, we want to try this surgery to see if we can avoid that. You know, let's try the surgery. If it doesn't work, 
you know, we'll do what you're saying. So they gave him the surgery. It didn't take. So he's like, all right, cool. Cut my leg off. And they're like, well, you know, we're going to try it again. So that went on for like, I, I want to say a year and a half. And uh, just all these failed surgeries weren't fixing him. So um, he ends up getting discharged from the army. Uh, really felt some type of way about that. Um, he got out and he was, uh, he went to Nevada for some reason. Uh, that's where he was living. And he was living in uh, Las Vegas. And uh, the VA there, uh, apparently they have a really stellar VA. And they had one of the best prosthetic surgeons in the country there. And they, got, and they did cut his leg off for him. And the guy was telling him, you know, he was going to make him real nice prosthetic. Well, uh, a few months before his operation, well, I think he already had his leg cut off at this point, but uh, he was about to get his new one. And the doctor told him, you know, I've got some news for you. I accepted a job um, on the East Coast. And he was like, you know, I wouldn't, I felt terrible. And he's like, the only reason I took this job is because they promised me that they were going to let me uh, finish my work with you. You know, I'm not going to leave you hanging. So, all right, awesome. So he, you know, the doctor leaves. And, uh, but the doctor that replaced him at the VA uh, she said, absolutely not. You know what I mean? You can't get your leg from him. You have to get your leg from us. And they actually filed a non-compete order against that doctor. So she- would not let him uh, make him a leg. So he has to wait around another year and a half, however long it was, ridiculous amount of time. And they made him a new leg. Well, I think it was his right leg that he lost. And I think the right leg had a left foot on it. So his wife, who's in the Air Force, uh, she just gave birth to twins. And uh, he was talking about carrying two babies up and down these stairs on a prosthetic leg that he'd had for like two weeks, you know, and two left feet. And uh, that that's a pretty, as far as VA horror stories go, that's a pretty good one. Yeah. I mean, I've, it's, it's weird because I've, I've heard a lot of people say they've had great experiences. And I've mm-hmm. had a lot, they're like, no, it, it sucks. I mean, just, mm-hmm. I mean, I was telling a story this, this week, I have a, uh, Potential constituent uh, called me up the other night. Hey, this is something you need to know about. On this bill, and, and they're working in contracting for, for the VA. We have this building in St. Cloud, building 29, scheduled to be get a complete remodel on, the, on this floor in three or four months. Well, right now we're spending $40,000 to put brand new carpet on that floor that they're going to be remodeling in four months. Complete remodel. He's like, everybody knows this is stupid. Everybody looks at each other going, this is crazy. But the people who are approving it are up up the chain somewhere. And so you can't change it. You can't fix it. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, man, you're just wasting that that $40,000 that can be used somewhere else. Uh, it's like, dude, this is just one case where I could tell you about because everybody freaking knows about it. Mm. So there's a lot of other ones I can't tell you about right now because they'll know where it came from. <laughs> but he's like, yeah, we're, we're, he's like, we're gonna have to talk later because this I, we need somebody up there to fight for us on stuff like this. Yeah, man, you hate to hear it. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's really frustrating because the American people and even the libertarian libertarians we hate spending money. We hate with a passion. But for our veterans care is pretty much the one thing that everybody's on agreement. Yeah, we need to spend that money. Mm-hmm. And then you see it wasted like that. It's just, it's, it's so frustrating. This is the one avenue where people are willing to, for their money to go. 
and you waste it like this and eventually people are going to see this and go no y'all can't have money for that either because y'all can't spend it right mm-hmm. well actually i think that's too optimistic i think uh i think that makes too much sense yeah to ever see that I mean, happen but it's just it, it's frustrating i mean it's just i mean as as veterans i mean there's we see it more than as, and myself my background in the in the army was a finance and budget guy so I've seen how this stuff works. I mean, it's just—it's so fun. It's so—I'll tell you a quick story from uh, my first deployment uh, when I was in Kuwait. We had this—we're uh, going over a bunch of old contracts, and the guy who ran all of the defects, uh, Kuwaiti National, we started noticing he hadn't been paid for three or four months. What the heck? So we call him, come in, and it was a couple million dollars he was owed by that point. And uh, they get him to check, and, and my LT is like all apologizing. Oh, why didn't you let us know? Why didn't you let us know? It's like, ah, I know you Americans. You'll never pay on time, but you always pay. <laughs> like, it's like, I wasn't worried about it. It's like, it was only a couple million dollars. That's it's no big deal. <laughs> We're all like looking at each other like, what? Couple million dollars, and he's acting like it's nothing. Yeah. But yeah, those are those are the kind of stories you pick up, and the people who aren't there or weren't there, they don't understand. Mm. I mean, some of us who have been there and seen how these things work, they're like, we're like, yeah, right. <laughs> Being a budget guy, you're basically a libertarian's wet dream as far as a political candidate. Well, I'm, I mean, I'm hoping so. I mean, the. Uh, I mean, I know I know what, what rocks to turn over, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I know how the budget system is supposed to work, which is nothing like it's working now. Uh, I'm a nightmare for anybody else in Congress because I will go in there and say, you know what, this the budget is the one thing the Constitution tells Congress you must do. Mm-hmm. This is your responsibility. Why isn't that the first thing on the business list every year? Get, why are we wasting our time on stuff that's not our responsibility according to the Constitution? And we waste all our time doing this, and we never get around to the budget, which is what we're tasked to do. I mean, and I've played around with this idea of what if I get up there just refusing to vote on anything until we do the budget. Uh and it needs to be a balanced budget at that. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, that's, that's what's one of the things that, that's my big frustration is there's certain things the Constitution tells Congress, you need to do this. This is your job. And for them not to do it is just their election of duty, in my mind. I mean, you have all these veterans in Congress who knows how this is supposed to work. They know what duty's about. Why aren't they holding people, the, polit- the professional politicians' feet to the fire? Mm-hmm. I mean, y'all, y'all been, y'all been in units. Well, we got to stop TDY because the budget's not approved yet, or we've got to, we can't spend this money because it hasn't been approved. Or, oh wait, but y'all are gonna get paid for next for next few weeks because again, there's no budget. Mm-hmm. I mean, how do we let it get to that point? How did we get it let let it get to that point? I mean, that's and when I when I talk to people, and I tell, and they're like, "Man, why aren't you running as like a Republican?" Well, 
this is the kind of stunts they pulled. I don't want to have nothing to do with that. Mm-hmm. You run as any of these parties, guess what? Your vote, you don't have your vote. The majority leader or the minority leader, they have your vote. They're going to tell you what you need to vote for. Otherwise, they're going to fund somebody to, to run against you next election. Right. Uh, I don't want that. I mean, okay, I, I'm going to go out there and and people are going to know I am I am the representative for my district. And that's how I want. And I, and I told somebody that the other day. It's like, what kind of candidate are you? Are you Republican? Blah, 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 blah. I'm the candidate from Minnesota, from District 7. Okay, that's all you need to know. Look at my policies. You want to figure out the rest. Look at my web page. I mean, I don't fit in a box. Mm-hmm. So don't try to put me in one. Well, you got to be one or the other. No, I don't. Uh, yeah, I tell you what, though, in the uh, while back, I went to a, a, a get together for a, for a Republican Party. Uh, they were having uh, a guy come in to do his report on the election. Uh, election security uh and one of the people that was helping him was a gop lawyer for the state Mm -hmm. and i told her yeah i'm running but no i'm not running as 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 republican i'm not running as a democrat i'm coming outside from outside the system she was scared to death oh no we the united states can't do that a multi-party system has never worked anywhere in the world huh (laughs) Really? Have you been to Europe? Have you heard about Europe by any chance? I mean, but this was her her belief of a third party. If a third party ever got elected in the United States for a major office, it would be in the end of the United States as we know it. Well, that part's probably a good thing. I told her I can only hope so. Yes, sir. (laughs) Okay. Uh, And and I'm sure it will be. I mean, that's, that's, that's what gets me excited. Mm-hmm. Is all we need is one candidate to get in there that's not a part of the that's not a major party candidate gets and who doesn't caucus with the, the parties so to let people know hey what this is possible and you know what? there is no place better than Minnesota to do it I mean we put Jesse Ventura in the governor's mansion okay uh, Ron Paul this is Ron Paul country. Out of uh, 14 delegates in 2012 for the GOP, Ron Paul took 13 of them. Really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is, I run into people every day who call themselves, Ron, who identify themselves as Ron Paul Republicans because mm-hmm. they don't want to be seen as today's Republican Party. Sure. So they, want, they put that qualifier, qualifier on there. I'm a Ron Paul type of, of Republican. Uh and that's why I think we got such a chance here. I mean, you have all these these people who are lovers of liberty. I mean, they 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 want this, but at the same time, they're scared. I mean, even with the guys I was talking to earlier today, I mean, that was one of their big big concerns was, yeah, our big concern is if you split the vote. Well, you know, if you don't want them to split the vote. Then I'm your consensus candidate. Everybody get behind me. It's not a split vote. Because mm-hmm. guess what? I'm the general election. I'm going to be there. I'm going to split your vote. Question is, do you allow me to split it enough to let the person you don't want to win, or do you back me to make sure that that, that person doesn't get in? Okay, mm-hmm. it's not a matter of me leaving. It's like if y'all if y'all don't want if y'all that's care y'all that much, then y'all better vote for me. 
Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, okay. the two big parties, they hardly represent their base anymore because, I mean, how can you? If you have one of two parties, people are just too different. Yep. And our founding fathers knew that. They knew two parties wouldn't work. And that was back when there were, you know, 13 states. And, you know, that's why libertarians, obviously, we want to be included, you know, in the debates. We are included on the ballots. But I think most people will tell you, honestly, they don't want to see three candidates. They would like to see probably 15. Yep. Now, one of the... uh... Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, well, on our last episode, we talked about how um, things are looking like they're going that way. Donald Trump talks about uh, making the Patriot Party. So his brand of Republicans, uh, and I don't even know how you'd really classify them exactly. And then the Democratic Party, they're uh, pretty well split on the socialism thing because you have the Bernie Sanders, the AOC, you have the people that really lean towards socialism and they're starting to wake up and realize that the Democratic Party doesn't represent them. And then uh, so, I mean, things are it looks like there's some fractures and I hope I'm not just being too optimistic in that. Well, what what I think, uh, especially the Libertarian Party needs to come to grips with. Is. We do have we have a huge vulnerability in the fact that nobody runs a campaign, a federal campaign, as if they are planning on winning it. They, they're not entering this in a, with a mindset of, once we become a threat, once these other two parties think I might, we might have a chance of winning a seat, are we prepared for them to turn their guns against us? Are, they prepared, are we prepared for us to be associated with every mix-up going on in New Hampshire or Delaware or, or anything like that. I mean, this last election, the gentleman who lost, a guy named Colin Peterson, was a 15-term uh, Democratic re- representative. He was Democrat, but he was pretty, pretty, pretty middle of the line. He was an old blue dog Democrat, I guess you could say. Uh, he lost this election. Not because they campaigned against him, but they tied him to the, the, the wild cards in his party. Mm-hmm. They tied him to the AOCs. They tied him to the Nancy Pelosi's, who he can't doesn't have anything in common with them, but besides the D in back of their name. Mm-hmm. Are we prepared for that when we get on a national stage to be lumped in with all of the people, the libertarians who are normies won't understand mm-hmm. i mean are, are we are they prepared for for and, and i love vermin to, with to death but are, are you are they prepared to be on that commercial being blasted by the rnc or the or the dnc going this is what libertarianism is is this what you want is this the kind of leadership you want because we don't have the money to fight back on that stage mm-hmm. They can spend all this money on TV commercials. I can convince everybody one-to-one on how it really is. But I can't talk to everybody. I don't have near the reach as an individual as, as, this, the, as these commercials do. So we have to tra- change our, our thought process. We have to start going into this going, where are my vulnerabilities? Where, if Once we start becoming a real player... How do we handle this? How do we, how do we plan for this? And I, and I think that's one of the reasons why we don't do better than we do. 
is I think at the point where we start gaining traction and they hit us with something like that, people are going to be like, uh, what do we do? What do we, they don't mm-hmm. plan for that. And everybody's like, oh, it's, that's, nobody's ever going to attach that to you. That's just national stuff. Well, if you start becoming a threat to them, guess what? It's going to be coming out. It's going to be the name of the game. Okay. That is the name of the game. If you keep on sitting back going, that's not going to affect you. Then, then you're not prepared to win. You're not prepared to be on the national stage. Uh, I tried to have this conversation one time with, uh, uh, carry, uh, CAH and, uh, cause everything that was going on with them. And I mean, and they didn't want to hear it. She didn't want to hear it. She's just like, why do y'all candidates think y'all are special? Uh, isn't the purpose of the, of the of a political party to get people elected? I mean, maybe. I mean, it was it was it's so fr- it was so frustrating. Mm-hmm. Of, but these are the things that, as libertarians running, we have to keep in mind, especially on the big stage. I mean, this is one of the things where we've come up to, to the fact now that I, I had to figure out, you know what? I got to run as a little L instead of a big L because mm-hmm. I need to be able to get, say, you know what? Yes. There's some, some people in that party. I don't necessarily, there's who are, who are edge lording on me, social media. I, I can't be associated with them. I mean, so no, I am, I'm running as an independent candidate. Who's a libertarian. Uh-huh. So I'm not, um, I'm basically not asking for anybody's permission. I'm just saying, hey, this is how this is this is how I'm going. I'm going, uh, and and you know what? The ninety percent of the libertarians I talk to understand that. Sure, they agree with that. You still have your ten percent that are more your your a lot of the activists who are like you're turning your back on the party. Well, you know what? Right now, the party needs to be the the benefits of the party need to outweigh the negatives of the party. And right now, I feel like we're not quite there. Mm-hmm. I mean, as a candidate, we get some. There's some great things for for candidates, but if you get once you get on the big stage, is it worth the baggage? That as a party, that is a libertarian party stuff. We need to be focused on. It's huge. We, if we want to be on the big stage, if we uh, if we want to be sitting up in that in in D.C. We have to be, be prepared for them to come at us dirty. They're mm-hmm. going to. If they don't, if they and you know what, when they do, it's a great thing. It is great because it means we've arrived. Okay, it means they now see us as the legitimate threat. Uh, and, and we're starting, and I'm starting to see it in my race. I mean, we talked a little bit earlier about my homesteading and, and small farm or stuff like that. The incumbent here is a. Uh, is a professional politician. She was in the state house for 20 something years. Uh, she's a lawyer by trade, but it was just so funny because on her Thanksgiving letter to the constituents, she goes, yeah, when I'm not in DC, I like to work on my homestead. You don't have a homestead. You got a lake house, (laughs) but that was the narrative that they have found themselves having to change. They're having to change their narrative. Because they see how popular I am and our message is. This is a Republican incumbent. They don't even usually know our name. Mm-hmm. But they are having to adapt. They are having to send people to there. I went to an event a few uh, four or five months ago, if, if 
maybe even longer, up in the southern part of our district, where we had a question and answer. And one of the guys next to me pointed out to this one lady and said, you know who that is? I have no freaking clue. And he told me her name. He said, that is the campaign director for Michelle Fishbach. What? <laughs> I mean, I was. this was my question and answer as part of another event. I mean, but they were they were sending her campaign manager in to wait to 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 evaluate us. The big guns. The big guns. I mean, these this is yeah. This is the incumbent Republican, and I'm who who who's uh she's looking at over her shoulder. I mean, this is a fairly conservative district. President Trump took this district by sixty three sixty four percent. Uh, the only two Democrats right now who are who are announced are right on the same level or or to the left of Bernie. Uh, the one guy they had who was more a little bit more towards the center uh, basically dropped out of the campaign already. He was the the uh, Democrats' favorite, but uh, once they told him they if they if he gets elected they expect him to work the phones four hours a day doing campaign fundraising mm. or doing doing political fundraising for the DNC. He said he was out. So that's not why I'm planning on going to D.C. Um, and you know what? I mean, I got all the love in the world for Mark. I mean, Mark Linquist was his name. And uh, he's like, no, I that's, I can't do that. I can't live like that. So he told the Democratic Party to go screw themselves. Mm. And this is after they have been introducing him to the governor and all the players. Mm. All the players. And he... So, I mean... I, that's one of the reasons I think we got such a chance here. I mean, they're just, the Democrats aren't running a serious candidate. So I am the main competition competition. I mean, there's, there's uh, democratic party leaders who basically said, yeah, you are the, you're the number, you're, you are the number two one to beat. There is no reason why we shouldn't be in the top two. And, and there's no reason why the Democrats probably won't be in that third position come election time. I mean, I, I know uh, the one of the Democrats running, Joey Ernest, great guy. Uh, but he, he is a full, and he'll tell you, he's a full-blown socialist. He is mm-hmm. Medicare for all. He's he, and he, he's proud of it. Okay, I mean, I mean him get together every once in a while. He's invite. He's actually invited me to some of their campaign events. Uh, but because you know, both of us know one thing, we all, we do have some similarities being the, the guys outside the, the major party push. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we also know, I mean, anybody who's going to vote for him would never vote for me. And anybody who's going to vote for me would never vote for him. So it doesn't hurt when we're in the same place trying to talking to, talking to people because, I mean, we have completely different people who are going to be following us and voting for us. But, uh I'm telling you, I'm excited. I mean, the, the, the catch is to hang into the, the race long enough. We've got a, uh, a very, very large endorsement coming coming down in May. In, in May. Uh, and when I say very large endorsement, I mean, this is going to be all, the media is now going to look at me going, yes, you are a, can, you are a threat. You are mm. a <laughs> uh, I, I want, really wanted him to roll it out earlier, but he, he wants to wait till May because he wants us to be able to uh, to take that momentum and ride it through the general election. 
Mm. Uh, and, and he's been doing this a long time. So I kind of have to go with his, uh, but uh, he, his, his word, his, his endorsements, his endorsements worth no less than 30%. Wow. Okay. I mean, <laughs> that, that is my, my feeling. And then we, of course, and on top of that, we also have backing from the Minnesota's got two major legalized marijuana parties, believe it or not. And, uh, Right now, they're telling their the, the the bigger one of the two is telling their people, "Don't run for 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 Congress in District Seven. We're going to support Bull Johnson. Mm-hmm. He's he's for everything we're looking for, and we really need to focus on state races. We need the state laws to change. That's where we need y'all. Let Travis, let Bull handle us on the federal level. Uh, and that party took five or six percent in the last election. Now let's do some quick math." 30% plus 5%, three-person race. And we are not even counting the libertarians and the people who are just sick and tired of the two-party system. Yes, sir. Okay. I mean, that's, that scares people. I mean, that, that, that scares people. And they don't know how to deal with this. Man, I'm operating on a shoestring budget, but people know me. I mean, I mean, I go out there and say, hey, you're running for Congress. Yeah, I am. Vote for me. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, we're getting that recognition. Um, if we can raise the funds, what we're hoping to do next next month is do a, uh, a no shit real poll. We really we want to know exactly what how people see us, our favorability, our unfavorability. But more than that, we want to see what it is for the incumbents. Because we are pretty certain that there's a lot of buyers remorse from the last election for for putting her for putting Michelle Fishbach in there. Uh, they just but they want to see a a legitimate person. They want to see somebody who can represent them. Because uh, right now they don't feel that way. Michelle, Michelle Fishbach has not done one in-person town hall since she's been elected. Every in-person event she does is a campaign scheduled an event and campaign structured event so she's only talking to the friendly people mm-hmm. uh, the one time they 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 put her where it wasn't and it was just a conservative rally i happened to be there and put her on the and grilled her for like three questions and at the end of my third question she stormed off the stage way to go okay i mean so and, so yeah she is not She's not very good under pressure as far as answering questions. So they protect her. Mm. But at the same time, by protecting her, people are feeling they're not represented. They don't have her ear. Yep. And you take you take the Trump voters. Because, I mean, as I said, Trump took 65% of this district. His voters are important. Uh, after they were going through this whole thing with Liz Cheney in the leadership position, some of the big grassroots supporters called her and said, hey, how are you going to vote on this? Well, I don't know. We'll figure it out. We, we're still looking into it. After the vote, they called and asked her, how did you vote? Well, that was a private vote. We don't need to tell you. This is what she told the grassroots. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> I mean, and, and these are, when I say grassroots, these are the Ron Paul supporters. These are the small budget, small government, do what you want to do type of, as long as it don't affect me 
voters. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just don't know they're libertarian yet. They are, but they just don't. They don't know it, right? Uh, or they're scared away from it. Being a libertarian is pretty hard, but you know, just exponentially more so for you guys, for the candidates, because the stuff that you have to explain to people, I kind of enjoy that aspect of it. Uh, for a candidate, it is a nightmare to have to explain to somebody. And I mean, I don't, uh, I don't want to misrepresent your views, but I'm just talking about overall libertarian views. You know, you want heroin to be legal. You don't want one person to be doing heroin, to be strung out on heroin, any of this, but these are the reasons why it should be legal. Machine guns. And actually what's cool about it is because I'm not, well, okay, if I am a lifelong libertarian, I I didn't realize it. The first time Will explained libertarianism to me, I thought he was crazy uh, because he didn't try to sell it to me at all. He was pretty much, oh, well, you know, legalized cocaine and prostitutes and open borders. And I, I literally thought he was crazy. But, you know, if you talk to these people, like it actually makes sense. Because you don't want anybody to do heroin. You just don't want to uh, pay to have someone locked up for you know doing something voluntarily. And the same thing with machine guns. The people who are not you know very fond of the Second Amendment, and even I guess uh, plenty of Republicans that say they support the Second Amendment, you know they they're still pretty scared. You know, and that comes out. Well, I don't think people should be able to own machine guns. I don't think uh, you know convicted felons should have the right to bear arms. But you know you can. And, you know, I tried to explain to people how, you know, I don't think a machine gun or, you know, readily available machine guns would make America a less safe place. Because if you were going to carry out a, you know, mass shooting, uh, depending on the situation, you know, that would be probably the worst weapon. You know, if you if you wanted to do something truly terrible, and I'm not going to go into details, you know, on the podcast, <laughs> but I think you could do a lot of very bad shit with zero firearms. You know what I mean? There's uh, plenty of stuff to do. Well, a machine gun is not concealable. Uh, it would not be affordable. And, you know, Oklahoma has quote unquote constitutional carry. And I literally do not care who has like, why would you care who has a firearm if you yourself have one? You know what I mean? If someone has a 240 Bravo, however they acquired it, and they're, you know, walking through Walmart with it. One nine millimeter round will stop that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I don't want to be, I don't want to get too silly or too into the weeds, but you know, that that's something you run into though, as a libertarian, uh, as a candidate, like for me, it's fun to explain to people why, well, you should not be afraid of your neighbor's machine guns. You should not be afraid of it. Ron Paul. I saw a clip really recently. I couldn't believe I'd never seen it. He was on some talk show. It looked like it was in the early eighties. And, um, the guy was basically calling him crazy for saying that, you know, all drugs should be legal. And the crowd, they were chanting, just say no, just say no. And he's like, yeah, good idea. I'm a doctor. Just say no. If you want to say no, you should say no, but you can't say no for other people. So that's, that is one area that we're fortunate in the Libertarian Party. We do have some uh, bright stars. Um, It's not all Vermin Supreme, John McAfee, Joe Exotic. There's Spike Cohen, Ron Paul, Travis Johnson, you know, who can explain our ideas very well. And that's why I think we're doing so well on small races, because there's less people you have to convince. I mean, but like my election, I need to I need to convince 150 to 170 thousand people to vote for me. I am never going to get a chance to one on one convert to convert that many people. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're looking at a small race with five or six hundred people, 
you can knock on that many doors and have those one-on-one conversations and educate them and bring them to the light. Sure. Uh, whereas for, for a congressional race, you have to have a little bit of a different mindset because you're just not going to get that opportunity to explain your positions in detail. It's always going to be the, the hitting. Hey, oh yeah. You, you want everybody to be stoned or you want everybody. No, I just don't think the government's the best one to decide who should do what. Uh, I mean, come on. I look, look at now y'all, y'all are all fighting because the government's telling you where you should wear a mask or, or take a vaccine. How's that different than anything else that the government tells us what we can and can't do? You In give them power the land one, of the free. You give them power for one, they're going to take power for all of them. Uh, I think people are seeing that. I really do. I think, you know, the people who are on the fence, you know, at least the people, just everybody except for the people that already have their heels dug in, they're coming around and they're seeing that. They are. And, and that's one of the reasons why my message has, has come over so well. Uh there's enough people here who still remember what it used to be like when for having physical conservatives and and socially liberal candidates or people or and us something that doesn't really fit on our uh, paragraph, so to speak, or mm-hmm. uh, and people sometimes hate it when we <laughs> say that, but for for Joe, for the normal person, it's it's what they more understand. Um, I think that's one of the other problems we have with the Libertarian Party. I mean, we have the we have the Mises guys. Love the message, hate the delivery. Mm-hmm. Uh, their, their message goes over real well, but the the edge lording just scares everybody to frick away, mm-hmm. or they come off as policy wonks. They want to come up here and explain why everything works the way it does, and want to. Get get into the details of the weeds of Austrian economics, the common voter don't care about that. The common voter wants to know, how. what are you doing about inflation? How is How are you going to fix that? They don't care about why it works. They just want it to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, old, the old saying goes, uh, don't give me the labor pains, just deliver the baby. <laughs> okay. uh, and, and that's where, where I think we need to, to change the up a little bit. I mean, I, I do well. People look at me and they see themselves. Mm-hmm. They look at me and go, "He's one of us," and, and that's what they desire. That's what they want. They want that common sense. They want that guy who, you know, what he you're, he's just like you. You can see him at the bar or or whatever else. I mean, and he doesn't doesn't put on airs. Doesn't act like they're more important than they are. Uh, that's why it's so important for me try to answer every comment on my Facebook. Every time somebody says something or asks a question. Uh, you know what I've actually started to do is go on the Michelle Fishbox page because I know she's not going to answer the questions and answer them for her. Hell yeah. I don't Good know on what you. Doing. This is what I'll do. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, Because it's her, the official Congress page, they can't ban me. They can only do it for the campaign page. So for a... The, the courts have said no for a for an actual official Facebook page. Mm-hmm. You can't ban your constituents. They have a freedom of speech, freedom to be there. Uh, and there's been a couple po- posts that they've deleted over that. Uh, they were doing a, a, a uh, I, I ran something a while back, kind of pointing out where our Facebook page was in relation to the other people running for office, mm-hmm. as far as our followers were concerned. 
two or three days later, their campaign does a big push. They do a big buy trying to get people to follow her. That's got to make you feel good. Yeah, she was ahead of me. But uh, then I went back there and and made all kind of comments on the page when people were were making comments on it. And and then I pointed then within. I thank them for responding to my my post (laughs) and uh, for for, uh, acknowledging this by feeling they by feeling they had to run this paid ad now to try to and uh within a couple of hours of me putting that the whole post was deleted okay i'm a libertarian third party candidate this is the incumbent okay this is unreal this is not what we uh, as libertarians or independents that's not what we're used to we're used to being ignored and we're now to the point that they don't feel they can ignore us anymore. And, and this is, again, this is a Trump, a, an area Trump took 65%. The Democrats aren't going to spend any money here. The Republicans aren't going to spend any national money here. They, it's a safe seat. They're going to go, if you can't beat an independent or a libertarian on your own, you don't need to be there. We've got Democrat seats we want to try to win. We're not going to throw money into a seat, seat that should be safe. Mm-hmm. That's why we've got this this perfect storm here. I mean, because she's not well liked. She she's she's not very charismatic. Uh, she's an established politician, which again, it's like, it's like I was mentioning to somebody. Which Trump? Why did Trump take sixty five percent? Because I ask people all the time, why did you vote for Trump? Well, he's not part of the establishment. Then why in the frick did he endorse a, a swamp monster? Hmm? I don't know. I don't agree necessarily agree with that. Well, and uh, that's why they feel they can't ignore me. Because I am a lot of things that people liked in Trump without a lot of the baggage. Hmm? Without the ego. Without the airs. I mean... People just, our biggest hump is getting people to believe. Mm-hmm. And we're slowly doing it. Uh, until our fundraising gets up to par, that's always going to be an issue with with us. People are always going to wonder, are you real if, if we don't get up on the, on the fundraising? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, mean, I just did my end of year reports for last year. And uh, I want to say we brought in seven or $8,000 last year for the campaign. I've thrown in probably 13. Uh, but we need, we those those are numbers that, that was last year's numbers. We need that eight to 10, 10 grand a month or a quarter and preferably a month when we start getting closer to election time. Uh, and the question is, what do we have to do to get people to believe? I mean, we are the ultimate underdogs and people are cheering for us but they won't bet on us yet. That makes mm-hmm. any sense. They want us to Very win. True. Hoping we'll win. But I'm not going to really bet on him. As much as I'd like him to win, I want him to win. I'm not really willing to bet on it yet. Mm. But we've got to get people to the point where they feel comfortable with doing that. Um, and, and we got some some things coming up. And first week in March, we're going to be uh, we're going to be on Pat Ford's. Uh, show on Libertarian TV, uh, and we're trying to set up as many. Uh, I, uh, I 
emailed Matt the other day. I'm trying to get on one of their shows that, that following week as well. Uh, Shane Hazel last year told me he was going to let me on his show sometime this year. So I've kind of, I've contacted Shane and said, hey, can we do it after this Pat Four so we can broadcast it to everybody and advertise and just do like a week-long money bomb? I mean, uh, so, so we're hopeful. I mean, we're, we're hopeful. It's just, it's, it's, as a candidate, it's frustrating because you see the potential there. You see what you can do. But money's always that limiting factor. But, uh, one of one of the things we uh, did this year to uh, for uh, fundraising, it being military, I mean, you, you know, we got to do something military style. So we made collectible numbered campaign coins. Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, they're numbered one to a hundred, and uh, that's it. That's all that that we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna do. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're on our website, and uh, it's one of those things that you know what? If we pull off the super upset, it's one of those things you're going to be able to say we were supporters from the beginning. Yes, sir. But if we get in there and we change the system, we change how people see our our election process. We give people hope. We were the tip of that spear, and you know what? We were there for the tip of that spear. Uh, and uh, so that's one of the things we're trying to to do outside the box to to, to generate some of those funds. And uh, I mean, it's sad because I mean I'm on Facebook almost every day begging <laughs> somebody, mm-hmm. somebody support us, somebody uh, give give us a give us a, some help here. And uh, you know, I've had some some great support within the within the Libertarian Party. I mean. Spike came here last year for our kickoff event. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, people people love Spike. I mean, they, yes, they love him to death. Uh, there are some I'm still trying to get a hold of. I mean, we've been trying to get Ron Paul to endorse us, endorse us but oh, I thought that we, was your big one that was coming in May. I was sure. No, I wish it was. Yeah, uh, this is another one coming up. <laughs> but uh, Ron Paul probably won't won't endorse any non-Republican candidate as long as Rand's in Congress. Oh, okay. He just, I mean, different people have told me that, that, yeah. Now, if, if the Republican party decides to, to primary Rand, mm-hmm. all bets are off. Uh, so, so it's, so we're kind of keeping our eyes on, on what goes on there. Uh, so Justin Amash just started his podcast. Uh, I've been trying to get a hold of that Joker forever. <laughs> you and him oh. would get along really well. I mean, he's another one of the bright stars. Thomas Massey, another guy that I know you're you're oh, still a fan love, of his, right? Yeah, I love Tom Massey. Okay. Beautiful. I'd love for you to be able to work with him. That would be. I, I, I actually sent him one of the one of the shirts. Hmm? He said awesome. he had got it, but he was going to look for it. Awesome. Yeah, we've been uh, because these are. Those kind of endorsements, like the, the Amash, like the Spikes, these are things we can do press releases for. That starts getting our, our free media attention. That's what starts getting newspapers to notice. That's one of those things we're missing right now, is we need those significant events that will give us 
give us some paper time. Give us some TV time because of these 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 endorsements. That lets us get that nice blue check mark on our Facebook. Get yeah. us those Wikipedia ads or those Wikipedia pages that people are go, okay, he's real. He's, he's got a wiki page. Or those are the things. Those kind of endorsements help on. Mm-hmm. And uh, but they're the same way. They're the ones scared to, to bet on the underdog. Do they want to use their political capital? On, on supporting a candidate that they're not sure that that's going to win. Uh, and I just don't know what it takes to get Justin Amash's attention. I have tried everything I could think of. I've sent them emails to with the, the website on their, their uh, page and on their, their webpage. And I wouldn't know how to go about that either. Maybe reaching out to Boy Spike. He might have the better hookup. I'm not sure. I, I, I I have done that, and it has uh, it has yet to bear fruit. Mm. That's uh, that's mostly because I think uh, after he got after Justin got out last election, it was family time. Yeah. So I think all of last year was pretty much I've been gone so much I need to spend time with the family. Mm-hmm. I think coming this year with this podcast coming up, he's going to start getting a little more engaged, and then it's just a matter of getting on their radar. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the that's the hard part is getting getting on these big names radar. Uh, because, again, those those endorsements, I mean, and, and I know what uh, Ron Paul's argument always was. His argument was always, well, when I ran for president. How much of a percentage did, did, did they vote for me? Three percent. Well, that's all I'm good for, for an endorsement. Hmm. That was his mindset on it. And. Uh, which is why I want to tell him, you took 13 out of 14 delegates here, baby. I, you, that's a winning hand. <laughs> well, you know, speaking of Justin Amash and speaking of the uh, big parties um, fracturing, if not imploding, I listened to him on Andrew Yang's podcast. It was probably a few months ago now, but people talk, you know, libertarians bring up Andrew Yang, even though he's pretty pretty damn far from libertarian uh people talk about tulsi gabbard which i don't really understand uh the same thing she's kind of far from a libertarian but you know if some of these fringe people because she's not she's not very much a democrat either if some of these fringe people started working together i mean that's that's nothing but good for us no and And that's that's the difference libertarians will work uh and ideally you know libertarians will work with you know maybe some republicans on second amendment issues and they will work with um, Democrats on some socially liberal issues, and you don't see the two parties doing that at all, no. and they can't. And I think that's one thing that's killing them because, like a Democrat from a very rural area like yours, like mine, I don't think they can even campaign to their rural base. Like, yeah, I'm a Democrat, but you know, I'm like you. I own AR-15s for the hog problem, or you know, they they can't do that because Nancy Pelosi is against guns. Well, AOC's and, against and, guns. And the thing is, Colin Peterson did. That's why he stayed in there for 15 terms. He was pro and he was a pro-life Democrat, mm-hmm. which you don't see. I mean, he was all about he was pro Second Amendment. I mean, but that's because he knew that's that he was from here. This is this is how he was. This is he was a local boy. This is and uh and he also feels from talking to him, that's why they wouldn't support him. They wanted the way he wanted them to the last election. Mm-hmm. And he told them, hey, I just need you all to run an ad in support of me, not 
against Fishbach. And they yep. came back and told him, we know, we, we know how to do this. You don't need to tell us how to do it. And they didn't. And he lost. And, and I will tell you, he feels, he feels hurt. He feels butthurt about it. He, mm-hmm. <laughs> he's pretty upset with the, as he calls them, the lefty loonies <laughs> within his party. That's a good name. That, that, that's what that he felt. It was the lefty loonies in, in the party that caused him to lose this, lose this, this district. I actually had a, a good couple hour conversation with him one day. And uh, he, he's the first one to say he should have been, he was trying to get out two or three cycles ago. But he said everybody the Democrats wanted to run to replace him was so far for the left, they're like, they have no clue on this district. Somebody to that far to the left is not even going to get somebody to tell them what time it is in this district. Mm. But they they didn't understand that. And and that's also I hope I to God that continues to bite them in the ass hard. Oh, it will. But you know what? It's it's they're getting bit the same way that the Republicans did not did with uh oh what was it the 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 free the other the Tea Party mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to an extent. I mean they 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 lost the independent middle voters to a certain extent. And uh, I mean, and that's one of the things when I'm talking to people, it's like, dude, oh, you know, what you need to understand is I've got my principles. I'm going to stand by my principles, but I'm going to talk to everybody. Mm-hmm. I'm going to talk to anybody because you know what? Nine out of 10 t- things we don't agree with, but that's no reason that means that one out of 10 thing we can't move forward on. If it's for the benefit, it's going to benefit the country and my district. Mm-hmm. I don't have an issue with that. Because right now the Republicans and Democrats, all they care about is spoiling the other ones. Mm-hmm. I mean, they 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 have forgotten about telling us why to vote for them. All they do is say, "Why don't vote for the other guy?" And people are tired of that. People are frustrated with that. Uh, tell me why I need to vote for you. Neither party feels that they have to earn anybody's vote anymore. And and honestly, voters are feeling taken for granted. That's why when they hear somebody like me telling them, this is what my ideas are, they listen. They may not agree. Uh, but you know what? I found a lot more agreement than I expect on a lot of issues. I mean, this is a, a heavily Republican area. You know what? Most of them don't have a problem with legalizing mar- like legalizing ma- marijuana. They don't. Yeah. They're, they're all for it. Uh, and, and we're running into a lot of a lot of those cases where even some people, when I'm talking to some people on the left, I mean, we talk, start talking about even the Second Amendment. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of Democrats that get, guess what? They are very pro-Second Amendment. Just because they're a Democrat doesn't mean they're not. Uh, they're, they're, they're not, nobody's lockstep with their party 100%. You Republicans aren't, Democrats not, Libertarians aren't. I mean, we all have different variances on where we fall on that on that spectrum mm-hmm. uh, so it's just it's a uh but we need people to hear about us we, we need one thing that i really like. liked and i still do is how palatable libertarianism is mm-hmm. and something that sets us apart from the other parties 
is it's about personal choice. And that's why, you know, my family, you know, my mom, when we go to family get together, so, oh, don't talk to Braxton about politics. It's like, man, I, I don't talk about <laughs> politics because libertarian politics are so different. You know, when it comes to a lot of the yeah. social issues, the difference between a Democrat and a libertarian, you know, is something along the lines of, you know, a Democrat, they kind of put, you know, these social issues on a pedestal, like trans rights, you know, you have to believe this about trans people, you have to believe this about gay people, you have to believe this. Libertarians are, you know, you tell your kids however you feel, that's fine. You just don't speak out, you know, against these people. And yeah. like, how can you, how can you not get on board with that? Nope. I, I mean, I don't get but it. you have some, I mean, uh, mm -hmm. what, some of the things I get a kick out of is there's a few people who are follow, who follow my page. And they are the political extremes to mm -hmm. a certain extent. There's probably not one thing we agree with politically. Maybe one, maybe two, but not very many. Yeah. But you know what? They're voting for me. Because I listen to them. Because we talk. And they don't feel like, any, even from their own party, they don't feel like they're getting that. Mm -hmm. so, and, and they tell you, you know, I'm going to vote for you because I think you're a good person. Even if I don't agree with a lot of what you do or a lot of what you say, you're a good person. And and, and so I feel you're going to make the right decisions at the right time for the right reasons. And that's something we don't see in the other parties. When's the last time you ever heard somebody say, I'm voting for this person because I think they're a good person? I mean, you said it earlier and you see it all the time on Facebook. You know, tell me why you like Joe Biden without saying the word Trump or vice yeah. versa. Yep. You know what I mean? Or I mean that you said it, everybody's saying it. That is how it is right yeah. now. And and uh so I think and I think that's what scares people. That's what scares the parties. Because if if we do this and it works, we get elected, it's a blueprint for every other state in the in the country. It is basically saying this is how you break the hold on a two party system. At that point, they have to start earning their votes again. They haven't done it for so long, they don't remember how. Okay? I mean, they've forgotten. I mean, this this against the other party thing has worked for them for so long now. That's one of the reasons they're so scared of us. Because that takes that bullet out of their gun if there's a legitimate third option. You can't be, tell them you can't vote for you you can't vote for you have to vote for me because otherwise that person will win because guess what we might win instead that doesn't work anymore and they really don't know what to do about it you know the libertarian uh prophecies are coming true on both sides um we're actually getting kind of lucky where things things are getting as bad as libertarians have said they're going to get for a long time yeah. you know we were able to point fingers at the democrats and say like hey when you run somebody uh, like Hillary Clinton, and she says all the things she says, and she has the track record that she has, you get orange man. You know what I mean? Like, hey, this is what you got, and you deserve it. And then right yep. now, it's the complete opposite. Like, okay, you threw a fit about orange man to the extent you got Joe Biden elected, and, you know, look at how terribly he's doing, even among Democrats. You yep. know what I mean? So I, libertarian prophecies are coming true. And who wouldn't rather have a Justin Amash or a Spike Cohen rather than Joe Biden or yeah. orange man? Yeah. And one thing we need to, I hope people are realizing too, though, is we got to get behind congressional candidates because that is what's going to tell, that's what's going to make our presidential ticket get attention. 
right now they're like, we, why pay attention to them? I mean, you, we're not even you're not even represented in Congress. Well, guess what? We get a couple of seats in Congress. All of a sudden, you know what? You're you're a legitimate option. A a libertarian ticket needs people on that level that can support them and beat the war drum, so to speak. Because mm-hmm. guess what? That's a big stage. I mean, this is this is actually one of the things that scared me uh, when Spike was here. Is we're doing a we had a fundraising dinner and he's talking to the to the guys there. And he's like, something people y'all need to y'all need to realize. And Travis gets elected. Travis Bull Johnson is in Congress. He is the highest ranking federal libertarian in the country. He is on every news because whenever they hear they you have a news station that wants to show the different parties, they'll show a Republican and then a Democrat. Guess what? They're going to have to put the libertarian on there too. Like that's why you saw Justin Amash everywhere after he switched to libertarian. And that—that's the stage we need. That's the stage where we can start converting people. That's that we don't have the money to run ads. Well, if we get that earned media, that starts to make a difference. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have to pick. You know, there's two or three races that. We got a, we got a, at least a decent chance. We need to start throwing throwing ourselves into these races, whether it's here, whether it's in uh, in Missouri uh, or, or Mississippi. I mean, we've got some, we've got some great candidates who are running with similar districts to mine, where they've got that same that similar situation. Uh, Turner's one of them. I mean, he's also a, a, a a, uh, a vet. I don't know if you've you've looked at him uh, or talked to him before. Where's he? He's in Missouri. I don't think I'm familiar because at first I thought you were talking about uh, Austin Peterson. Uh, Jacob Turner is his name. He's running for the eighth district. Uh, right yeah, now. he's uh, he's been uh, on the he's been with the caucus since the very beginning. So I did not yeah. I didn't remember that he was from Missouri though. Absolutely. Yeah, no, he's a. I mean, we, we've we've actually gotten together and worked on some some mutual stuff, uh, as well as say Alvin Johnson down in Mississippi. And I mean, we need to just we need to start backing these candidates and and get on that stage because I mean, if we keep on we get excited about the presidential election, but if we don't get people in Congress, it's never gonna it's very never gonna go anywhere. Mm-hmm. But you know what? If you get one or two of us in Congress. We're going to get to that 10 or 15 percent to get on the debate stage for presidential elections, because at that time we're in Congress, we're showing people we're not scary. Hmm? That's the thing right now is, is they keep on using all these are scary. They've got all these outlandish positions. Well, if we can prove that we're not. I mean, that's something I had the other day. I had a meeting with the CEO for American Crystal Sugar up here. It was one of the bigger sugar companies in the in the country. And my goal going into there was not to get him to support me. My goal was to go in there and show him that I was not somebody to be afraid of. So he wouldn't support my opponent. Okay. That's generally what they do. I mean, they're going to, they're not going to go against an incumbent. I mean, they can't afford to, uh, but if we can go in there and show them we're not scary, guess what? They don't feel they have to make that 
that campaign contribution because if they lose and get me, they're okay with that because because I'm not scary to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so some of the things we have sometimes we have to play defense like that. Can't we? Sometimes we have to play defense of saying, you know what, just if you're not going to actively support me, just don't actively support them. Take that money out of the race. Uh, and again, they were they were big donors to the last race. And I left when I left there. I mean, we were on great. I mean, we were on good terms. We were he was comfortable with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, so I'm we with any- you 100 percent. And personally, I am more interested in the uh, people running for Congress. So I'm not trying to derail that. But when you're just talking about, you know, the libertarians being scary. Have you ever Googled why cornflakes were invented? No, I have not. <laughs> um, man, I wish. Can you can you do that really quick? Yep. Do that really quick because I don't want to deprive you of actually getting to Google that for yourself. You know what? As soon as I got the corn FL, it automatically popped up uh, invented. So. <laughs> <laughs> So that what what I the reason I say that and everybody Google why were cornflakes invented if you haven't already uh, but that's Joe Biden to me Joe Biden is so far from a wild card he's so far from having you know scary policies but you know look how you know dangerous look how scary his presidency is with everything that's going on you know I mean that's what people accuse libertarians of being a wild card and there'll be anarchy and you know nobody will be in prison and whatever else but. He's the cornflakes of a presidential candidate, and look how scary his uh, presidency is. We saw a different lake. Oh, for why was cornflakes invented? Well, I thought it was it's to stop people from masturbating. Yeah, that's what I'm about to yeah. say. That's exactly, that's exactly what came up, and I'm like, then you said you started Joe Biden. It's like, <laughs> no, sorry, I guess that I'm, I might be making that metaphor too big, or it's bigger in my mind. But you know, he's well, so it just far went over my it just went over my head. <laughs> Well, then it probably did everybody else's. Um, I have that problem, like the uh, the Facebook post that I made about you coming on here. Everybody yep. was like, that's not the same person. Like, that's all they took from that. There wasn't, you know, there was one or two LOLs. Nobody even got that it was a joke. I thought you guys looked alike, uh, but uh, I, I'm like, you don't. Yeah, I'm the, I'm the guy on top. I don't know who that Marine Lieutenant Colonel is. <laughs> Man, that's from uh, Generation Kill, which is a pretty outstanding uh, miniseries. It's supposed to be like a modern okay. day band of brothers and it's a pretty good show, but I thought you okay. guys looked similar enough that, uh, and even if you didn't, I thought it would be funny, but no. So I, oh, yeah. it's probably my fault on that. Same as the cornflakes, but I, that's what I think of Joe Biden as far as, you know, not being a wild card. I mean, you know what I mean? Uh, I'll tell you, I'm still here from when, from your lead in today that your viewership was up 400%. That gets me excited. Yes, sir. I mean that that gets me excited because that means people want to hear what I ha- what we have to say. I mean, the people were were, were really are, are are tuning into this matches and they're they're starting to get excited. I mean, that's that's huge to me because again, uh, sometimes we, we keep on paddling and paddling and paddling and paddling, and we wonder if we're getting anywhere. Uh, I mean, because yeah, we see the stuff like them copying us or or sending in campaign managers or stuff like that. I mean, that's, that's telling us we're on their minds, but it's just when people tune in to, for stuff like this, this is like, yeah, this is, that's real. That is something we can say, you know what? That's people who are getting excited. They're getting, 
you have to, for, to tune into a live podcast, you have to be invested. Mm-hmm. You have to be, yeah, I, I'm doing this because I put, put my bell on my phone or whatever. And we're excited enough about this that we want to hear that we're going to make sure we're, we're there. Not just catch it couple of hours or next week or, or whatever on on the web page so that that gets that's really got me uh worked up and excited hey me too <laughs> so anybody else out there in, in the in the online world have any questions of me Let's see we've not heard anything from the comments for a while we got some yeah. uh we've got some spammers i always do um, is there anything you'd like to plug? Yeah, my webpage. <laughs> I'd always like to, to, to uh, if, y'all, if y'all haven't seen my webpage, please come on and visit. It's bulljohnsonforcongress.us. Uh, if, you, if you're really feeling froggy, hit that little con- the contribute button. That will bring you to our online store uh, where you can donate. You can pick up one of these great uh, coins that we have that's uh, – that's uh they're numbered from one to a hundred. Uh first five are already are already spoken for. And uh we'd love to get some of your, your help on that. Uh I mean we, we we there's only so much as an individual that I could put in mm-hmm. financially. Because I'm I'm for as far as my own contributions, I am pretty close to being I am tapped out. Mm-hmm. Uh but if nothing else, I mean, please come come to our fa- come check out Bull Johnson for Congress on our Facebook page. That's starting to get attention. I mean, we're we're about thirty one hundred followers right now for a libertarian congressional candidate this this far out. That's that's some pretty good numbers. I, I went in and looked at some of the Facebook pages of some of the the more uh, the name the common names you hear in libertarian circles, the common politicians, mm-hmm. not named. Spike or, or Larry Sharp, and uh, we we definitely uh, fare fairly well as far as what our followers are, are at right now. Uh, but again, that's one of those metrics people we look at. Do you have a chance with your social media? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the the uh, official account for for uh, for uh, Michelle Fishbach is under five thousand. So it's, I mean, you're not, if you, and again, if your campaign account passes their official account, that's going to get attention. Even Hell if these yeah. are small numbers compared to what you see in the metro areas where, I mean, you can get those numbers up easily. We're such a spread out area. You just don't have that many people who are, who are into following it. So but if we can get those followers, share our, our page, say, hey, you know what? I mean, have you heard about this guy? Please get help get the word out. I mean, even we're getting donations. I mean, again, we're not getting a lot of big donations. We're getting a lot of small donations for all from all over the country. That's huge. I mean, we're also getting quite a few from our district, of course. Uh, but that every little bit helps. Ten dollars, twenty dollars a month. I mean, that that adds up. Uh, I mean, I'm going to get the different creature when I go as far as fundraising concerns with uh with my opponent because I pulled her FEC reports, and you know what? And it, and it's a typical who's who of Republicans on there. They're giving fifty six hundred dollars, but they're a lot of like 
Sheldon Allison, the guy who owns uh, the casino, is on there. And I mean, they're the all the big number guys, but there's not a lot of grassroots supports on there. I mean, I want to say she had a total of 1,200, 1,200 contributors. That's it. That's not. I mean, yeah, they were big money, but that's not an ungodly amount. Yeah, it's not good for a U.S. Congress race in a district that has 700,000 people, almost 800,000 people. 200 people are what donating or would help get her elected. Mm -hmm. Wow. I'd be just, I mean, even if we're nowhere close to her money amounts, I would love just to beat that number. Yes, sir. Because again, that shows popular support. Five dollars, ten dollars, whatever. Uh, if you're if you're on a if you have happen to have uh, Eskimo Libertarian, it's a webpage for her store. She has these sh- these shirts or sweaters that she's or sweat tops that I gotta figure out how to get here now. That uh, she has on her pay- her page for sale, which she's sending the the proceeds to me. We have raised ta- raised cattle. Not taxes, raised bees, not taxes, raised goats, and pretty much you took every animal I had on my farm and made a shirt out of it. Uh, but uh, anything like that you can do to help. I mean, just it's a, it's an uphill battle. I'll be honest; it gets frustrating at times. It gets you you have these conversations with yourself all the time. But what in the frick am I getting myself into? Uh, and every bit time we get that little bit of help, that little $10 donation, that little $20 donation or something like that, that, that tells us we're not alone. That, that yeah. reminds us people believe in us. Because uh, we need that. We, I mean, we we know we're, we're, the battle's worth fighting. But, I mean, it's like any other battle. I mean, especially with veterans. Veterans understand this. There's such some battles you can't do alone. You can be the biggest badass, whatever, but you need. There are times you need your battle buddies, you need your supporters, who who you know who has your back. Mm. Uh, so any any help like that is always greatly appreciated. Well, I'd like to tell you that uh, you know, hopefully, you know, we want the Libertarian Party Veteran Caucus to be so big that you know in the future we can offer a lot more help than we can now a lot of that's waiting on the irs we can't take money for anything we can't open up a merch store we can't take donations but uh eventually you know we're going to have our 501c uh it's also going to be a political action committee where we can give you all the money that we can and we want to be big enough that you know we have enough people where we can be boots on the ground knocking on doors for you if you wanted uh you know anybody that wants that support like that's what we are about I mean, and, and that's what's going to be important because, like, for myself to get on the ballot, we've got to do a thousand. We've got to get a thousand signatures on our petition within a two-week period. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they throw it in there around Memorial Day when people are all gone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, so it's one of those things that, and of course, this year, that time period is when same time as the Libertarian National Convention. So, I mean, there's a lot of people who have said, yeah, we'll help you for door knocking. We'll help you for your petition. Well, with it being the same time as the national convention, I'm losing a few of those guys, a few of those people. Sure. Uh, which, I mean, I understand. I mean, I've, I've been going back and forth myself. Do, do I do I make that trip or not? Because I need to, if I if I don't have my signatures, I damn well can't go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, I got to stay here and 
you got to get on the ballot. That's the most important. Uh, but we've had, uh, we've had, we've actually had quite a few people say, yeah, we're going to be there to, to help you get those signatures and so forth. Nobody's door knocking at negative 10 or negative 15 degrees though. <laughs> so a lot of it's just, just, just getting, getting staged. I mean, if we have anybody out, out there who's interested in helping our team, I mean, please just, just let us know. I mean, there, there's, we're looking for social media manager, somebody, because unfortunately that's not my strong suit. And that is such an important part of the plan. Uh, I like that. Obviously I like to talk, so I can't get anything down to 140 characters or whatever it is for, for Twitter. Now. Okay. I just, I, I even tried to do some, some commercials on, uh, on Facebook, some video. It's like, I'm going to keep it under a minute. Not happening. Okay, I, I can't do it. I like to talk too much, so I, I definitely need some help on, on that. My strength is I'm a big picture kind of guy. I am I am great at that big picture. Details are not my strong suit. Every uh, position I've had that I've excelled at is because I was allowed to do the big picture, the planning, the strategic level. Mm-hmm. Where I've had people who could help on the, who I could delegate to to help on the the the, the management side or the the micro level. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anybody who's willing to do that, be a volunteer coordinator, anything like that. I mean, it's greatly appreciated. I mean, we're we're trying to build the staff. Uh, we do not have a campaign manager right now, uh, and and part of the reason for that is. We lost our last campaign manager who had some uh, issues she had to take care of. And um, part and a lot of it's been, been me because I've had some people who are libertarians. Hey, we'll be your campaign manager. It's like, I'd love to have you. But the fact is, we can't run a libertarian campaign. I can't run a campaign shooting for three or four or five percent. We need we need to and. Uh, so right now, again, we're, we're kind of holding off on that position because with that endorsement that we were talking about mm-hmm. comes will come somebody uh, to help on that in that role uh, with big, big, big election experience. Uh, so we're kind of I've got a gentleman in the Moorhead who's kind of helping me out on, on a deputy position like that. Uh, one of the things I didn't realize, again, because this is my first campaign, this is the first time I've tried this, is one of the packs I, I was writing to about getting some support from, um, they have a questionnaire they send out. And part of that questionnaire is, who's you, who's doing this role? Who's doing that role? And there was like 15 freaking roles on there. And I'm like, there's actually campaigns with these filling 15 different freaking and I'm like, okay, yeah, this is kind of scary. <laughs> I mean, it sure. was social media manager, it was mass media manager, it was you have uh, to have a water boy, it was athletic spokes- trainer. It was spokesperson, it was like, yeah, we're, we're looking going over there, it's like, yeah, we're not there yet. Uh but we'll get there. I mean, it's it's now see last night was our caucus season started in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. February 1st. So now we're really getting to the point where it's about to get serious. We're waiting for the uh, the new district maps to come out in two weeks. Uh, 
because I, you know, I may not even be against Fishbach. Uh, the Democrats are actually trying to, to shove me into a district that they feel they will be more competitive with if I end up in this other district. Because mm. that person, that Republican in that district didn't win by as much. So when they put their their proposal together, and I had a couple of people from the, the, the Democratic Party in the state say, you were in their mind when they came up with this proposal. Because they feel if you're in this race, they've got a better chance. Okay. When does, when does a libertarian or independent get that kind of a pull? I mean, right. that kind of attention. Uh, okay, that says our message is, is, is getting people. You bet. But yeah, that's the main things I wanted to plug. It's just, I mean, any support definitely helps us. I mean, uh, anybody who has questions, wants to know what my position is on something, let me know. That uh, I see that as both a strength and a weakness of mine is I will tell you where I stand on everything. I'm an open book. I mean, the flip side is it means everybody knows where I stand on everything. They know where they can try to attack me on. But but people also are very refreshed with that. And they're like, you know what? I appreciate you taking the time to actually, I don't agree with your answer, but I appreciate you actually coming up with a no no shit answer and Mm -hmm. not playing political games. Very good. I think people want to see that. Well, you know, I see why Spike likes yeah. you so much. You sound a lot like him when you talk about, you know, running to win. I mean, that's one of his big points always. Is it really? Yes, sir. Yep. No, yes, that's sir. Uh, you got to have that. You got to have that mindset and you have to have, but you have to be aware of the threats. I mean, and, and I just, it's frustrating for me because I just don't feel that the, libertarian party as a whole i think if the libertarian party as a whole was keeping that in mind we wouldn't have some of the messes we have in some of the some of the stuff going on right now because they would see no hey wait we can't let this get to this point because it'll be a vulnerability to our candidates up and down the, the ballots uh yeah i think at the same time if if the if others saw remember that as well then they may be a little bit more aware of, of how their behavior will affect candidates. I mean, there's been times I've sat back and I've wondered, why do we have the Libertarian Party? It's supposed to be to get people elected. It's supposed to be getting Libertarians elected. But so much of our focus is on other stuff. So much of our, our, our focus is on internal politics. And, and again, when, when, when somebody tells me that thinks that the, the candidates are feel like they're an entitled class, I'm like, that is the purpose of a political party. Is it or is it not? I mean, it's, it, it's frustrating. I mean, it's, mm. that's what the purpose of a political party is. And if you're not candidate centric, then you're just an activist organization. Mm-hmm. Take the party, the, the political party out of it and say we are the libertarian activist organization. I mean, we're split it into two or something. I don't care. I mean, just let's keep keep in mind what the, the purpose of a political party is, is to make those changes by putting it 
by putting people into office. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's my soapbox. <laughs> one of well, one of many, probably. But uh, I would sincerely and humbly, um, and I don't know what this would look like because. It's so far out of my realm, but I would ask you to, you know, be part of that change. Well, we're we're uh, because, working on it. I mean, yeah, I mean, we like you as a party. We like you and, uh, you know, we want to keep you around and we want you to bring the party up with you. And uh, well, don't be too discouraged by all the nonsense. You know, well, try to stay above it, of course. And part of my big plan with that, and uh, it throws people off because I am – Again, I am running as an independent. I'm not seeking the state party's endorsement. But and then people ask me, who are you going to caucus with? Libertarians. Huh? You're not running as and my, my, I mean, I'm running as an independent, but I have every intention as serving as a libertarian. Mm-hmm. I'm just not asking mother may I, which is about mm-hmm. as libertarian as you can freaking get. You bet. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do it. Uh, and, and, I mean, I'm not going anywhere. I mean, I, I believe in the message. I, I, and I really, I mean, I'm, I, I see myself as the tip of the spear. To get in there, show people, you know what, we're not something to be scared of. Vote for us. We're coming with good ideas. We're good people. I mean... We just want the government to leave you alone. I mean, we want we want people to be responsible for their own decisions. We're not we're not endorsing what they do, but we're just recognizing their inherent right to decide it on their own. We don't we we, we don't believe in the nanny state, and, and people agree with this. But again, it's it's something that. I don't think they always he, they've they've always heard it said in political speak to a certain extent. Not hey, this is this is Travis from that down the road talking like a regular me and you sitting down like I was I do it like if we were talking about it over a beer. Okay, mm-hmm. that's and I'm hoping that works. I'm hoping that because that's that's the only way I can be because it's who I am. There's a podcast I listen to uh, every week. It's the Drinking Bros podcast, and it is a, uh, I think it's fair to call it a veteran podcast. Both of the hosts aren't veterans. One of them is, uh, he was in the 82nd with uh, Derek, and I hope it was the 82nd. I hope I'm not wrong on that. And um, he's really interesting. They they have a pretty big network now. They have an audience of about 10 million. And cool. uh, But the one I listen to, I listen every Friday because Thursday night they put out one that's called uh, Fake News. And they are very, they're surely not Republican. And I, man, I tell people all the time, it's so funny, that guy Dan Holloway and Spike went on their po- podcast. I listen to the Friday one. I listen to the fake news where they talk about politics. He will list libertarian talking point after libertarian talking point after libertarian talking point. But then he'll go on to say, like, libertarians are stupid. They just need to move to Somalia because they hate laws. It's like, dude, you're the most libertarian person I've ever met. He clearly just met a crazy libertarian in college. Um, But he says all the time that, you know, people who uh, people who deserve power 
don't want power, people who want power don't deserve it. And that's sort of the libertarian position too, is, you know, we want our politicians to have so little power. We can't affect your, you know, daily lives. Really. We want to get bull to Congress and help balance the budget. You know, we're not telling you what your kids have to learn in school or what they can't learn in school or none of the scary boogeyman stuff. None at all. And and I think that's what takes one of us to get up there for Mm -hmm. to get up there so they can see we are not the boogeyman, just like my meeting with, American Crystal Sugar CEO, because I, I knew as a libertarian that that was going to be one of their talking points to American Sugar is, well, libertarian in here, they don't, they're going to be against all of your protections, all of your, everything that, that you count on. Because, uh, I mean, even as a libertarian, that's one of those those deals where we, we got to figure out, or I, I have to figure out anyway, because uh, one of the subjects that came up with them. We all want free markets, right? You bet. Okay, we all want free markets, but the catch is, can you have a free market where one uh, company or, or one group is being subsidized by their government where the other group is not? Is that a fair free market? No. See, and, and that's where what we deal with right now with sugar is is the Central American com- company countries heavily subsidize their sugar production. Mm. And then they, they want to sell it in the United States. And then the, you have your sugar producers here going, hey, we can't compete like that. I mean, their government is, is underwriting all this. We're free market, but we want to be on the same playing field. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and yeah. For, I mean, so I mean, as a libertarian, how do we balance that? How do we... Mm-hmm. How do we, because again, we want free markets. Yeah, we want a free market here. We We don't want any government subsidies here. But I mean, anything that comes out of China. Yeah. Really tough. So how do you do that? I mean, how do you, you you find that balance on when it comes to, especially when you talk about food, for food security. Mm -hmm. Because guess what? If, if If you're buying all your sugar or whatever from somewhere else, that takes a lot of equipment. People get out of, out of it, sell the land or whatever. It's not something that can be turned on in a switch if Cuba decides we're not going to sell you sugar anymore. Mm-hmm. Or I said Cuba, but whatever. I mean, if something happens and we, we don't have that capability anymore. And it, that's that's one of those things I have a hard, I've had a hard time with. Yes, sir. The libertarian position is, you know, good ideas will prevail. You know, the competition, the incentive. But uh, as a candidate, where people actually want plans, very tough. I mean, you can't just tell this them. Agri- this is an agricultural district. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, and one of the things we uh, we talk about all the time, I talk about is is uh, getting rid of of the ethanol subsidies. Mm-hmm. Now that's that's a dangerous spot here because I mean, forty percent of American corn production goes to ethanol. Wow. Forty percent. Uh, so now, what's what's the what kind of vehicles have the big push right now? Electric, electric vehicles. They don't burn ethanol. So what's going to happen in ten years when that forty percent demand goes away? And it's going to happen gradually over the next ten years. I mean, that's one of the big reasons why I push hemp very heavily mm-hmm. here. Because a lot of hemp does not have the infrastructure yet. They do not have a lot of the the pro, the, the uh, 
demand for it. And a lot of that is because of federal restrictions uh, based on what you can use it for, what the THC levels can be on it. Uh, so again, people aren't willing to make those big investments. But again, we need to do something with the farmland. If it's not going to be producing corn, then let's move it into hemp. Let's use hemp. Let's start pushing hempcrete. Let's start pushing the other products you can use for, for hemp. Uh, All billion of them. And that's where I don't think our, our politicians in D.C. are doing. They're more reactionary than proactive. We know this is coming. Okay, you know what? We can say we want gas cars all we want. That's going away eventually. So we have to start thinking, what are we going to do with that 40% of, of, of corn cropland? Yeah, where we they're being reactionary because they're waiting on their lobbyists to tell them what they need to push. Exactly. So let's start pushing something else now that people can get involved in where we don't, where the government doesn't feel they have to save them in 10 years because all of a sudden that market is gone. Because that's what happens. I mean, you, the, the government is, is, is terrible for saying, we saved you from the problems that we created. Don't you appreciate us? Aren't you lucky you have us? <laughs> and uh, but that, that's what we're missing from DC. We're, we're missing that, that looking forward when it's not engaged, when it's not directly to a lobbyist who's telling you how to look forward. We're not being our, we're not being individuals looking forward going, this is a problem my district is going to face. How do we start steering away from that? What kind of policies can we, what kind of regulations can we get rid of that will not, that will allow this natural progression to occur? And uh, again, it, it's something that um, I've been so pleasantly surprised at the reactions I get back. I've gotten back from people. I mean, because the mindset here has always been. You can't win an election if you're not for ethanol. Okay. I'm not finding that. I'm not getting that response. I'm running into people who realize 20 or 30 cents of that gasoline price they paid at the pump is due to ethanol. Uh, Especially when you have high corn prices. Why do you have high corn prices? Because the government's demanding that that, that you use ethanol in your gas. Putting their their fingers on the, on their thumbs on the scale, mm. uh, and that's a conversation I've tried to have with Michelle Fishbox office over over the winter the summer. I'm all for corn farmers getting the money they need for their product. Two years ago, it was three seventy five a bushel, uh, and they were still planning. Told me they were making something off of it at least. Mm. Well, last year it went up to $7, nearly $8 a bushel. So at that point, I'm like, hey, you know what? This is a great time for you to start pulling back those ethanol requirements. Because the market has time to adjust to it. And, I mean, they don't want to hear, they didn't want to hear it. Mm. I mean, that, to me, that was a time period where you could have, you could have started, you would have given the market time to adjust. It's a high price point. I mean, it's, it's the, it would have been the right time to do the, and it would have lowered the corn prices a little bit for, for everybody else. Uh, well, you know, you're talking, yeah, you're, 
you would be a farmer in Congress and, you know, you're trying to have this conversation with a lawyer and, you know, there's nothing wrong with lawyers, you know, jokes aside, but, you know, it's impossible for the government officials to have all the answers. And the solution to that is, you know, have some people like you, some people that are actually good representatives of their district, you know, a farmer representing this district of farmers, or just you can't let the government be so heavy handed where they can, you know, have the ability to mess up that badly in places where they're way out of their depth. Exactly. We got to get the government out of it. We got to get the government out of these things. Let the, I mean, let the free market control it because guess what? It's, it's a lot more flexible than the government is with their artificial markets. Yes, sir. Uh, and you're, you gotta be foolish to expect them to have all the answers, all the solutions. It's not going to happen. You know, they're, they're, there's a few things. I, and and you know, there's some hot button issues that I'm pushing that we still got to work out a lot of details on. There's got, there's, you always had that rule of unintended consequences. Mm-hmm. If we do this, this is what we want. If we do it, what are the things we're not expecting that, that we're not taking into account? I mean, I have the conversation with people all the time who, because uh, I'm one of these guys, I want to see a lot of corporate protections removed. I want stockholders to be held accountable just like the, for the, for the, what the company does. Maybe then they'll provide better better uh, oversight but the problem is how many of our retirement funds are based off of stocks in these companies you take away that that corporate protection there went a good portion of america's retirement plans yeah once they start becoming financially uh, liable for whatever decisions they make everybody wants to say get rid of the corporations the corporations are evil Who's paying your retirement? Let's think. Okay, I mean, I agree, but we got we got to do it right mm-hmm. because we got to get because I mean that's until we can put a cap on inflation, until we can get a, a cap on on our, our money policy. I mean, this is never that's not going to work because your cost of living is going to keep going up. And your retirement's not going to. I, mean, I always always get a kick out of the, and you see, we see it all the time, the little meme on there with uh, talking about what the minimum wage was when it, back when it was five, 90% silver quarters. And how much minimum wage would be today if it was still five, 90% silver quarters? It would have kind yep. of it would have kind of handled that inflation problem. <laughs> yeah, you bet. But, uh, but so yeah, that's why we got to get rid of the, the spending under control. I mean, one of the issues where I where I people say I'm not a real libertarian is when I go in, my goal is to cut spending, not cut taxes right away. Mm-hmm. I think it's irresponsible if we cut taxes right away and and uh, it just continues to balloon the debt up. We got to get our spending under control first. Got to get that down. Then we start cutting cutting taxes. Any other way is just not not responsible. I mean, we're going to keep on creating this debt that's already out of control. I mean, 
I, I've looked at the numbers. There is no possible way we go to a balanced budget tomorrow. It's it's just not possible. I mean, there's unless unless you start doubling taxes. Mm. And what libertarians ever going to vote for that? <laughs> That's the one thing I have promises. I would not raise, vote to uh, to raise taxes, but uh, or income taxes. But so these aren't easy issues. But I don't see enough people talking about them. I don't, I'm not really talking about them. I mean, they, they'll give us political speech. But nobody up here says, hey, these are the issues we're facing. This is why this is a hard problem. Let's let's put our heads together and, and think of this. Because I, you know what? I'm a farmer from Minnesota. I don't have all the answers. I try to use common sense and libertarian principles for every solution I come up with. And, uh, but no, I'm not going to be one who says I have all the answers because I don't. Uh, if somebody tells you they do have all the answers, r- walk the other way or run. <laughs> That's right. I mean, cause they're, they're, they're full of, full of number two. But, uh, and they're $29 trillion in debt. Today. <laughs> today. <laughs> Well, I was going to say, I think whenever I started, you know, really taking libertarianism seriously, I think we're at about like 26 and that was unbelievable. That was mind blowing. And then in like three or four years, we're already at 29 trillion. With yeah. And you know that that's what they've always, they've always said that the tipping point was once the uh, debt became higher than the GDP. Mm-hmm. And we are now, I mean, that's why this is such a, a hot issue now and, and people under, people understand that i mean it's but the, and there is no sacred cows mm. when, we, when it comes down to doing this i mean we gotta get smarter with our defense dollars i mean we've seen the waste we've seen what goes on there i mean we gotta be smarter with those dollars we gotta be smarter with every dollar we spend if when you're writing a budget and, it, and you're spending some money or looking to spend money, you have to come back and say, is this, is this, is, would, if I had to pay my share of this out of my pocket, would I be comfortable with it? Okay, if, I mean, can't spend, I mean, D.C. and, and Congress spends money like, like it's going out of style because to them it's not money, it's paper. It's a piece of paper, it's, to a certain extent, it's like this is what the, I'm, how I'm going to get the votes to get reelected. Who was it that said that we're screwed once that the people, re- the government realized they can bribe us with our own money? Um, it was either Seoul, and uh, even if it was Seoul, he might have been quoting one of the Austrian guys. Uh, yeah. But he definitely said there's not, you know, there's not a more stupid decision than to put people in charge of policy that uh, don't suffer the effects of their policy. Yeah. And, and let's face it, Congress people don't. I mean, there. It's this whole thing, even with uh, with insider trading. That's what I was thinking. I mean, how else do they get out of there as millionaires on one hundred seventy four thousand a year when it costs three thousand a month for a house in D.C.? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just. I mean, there's no reason if you've got oversight over something, and you're getting insider, you're getting information on on companies. That you should be allowed to trade trade in stocks. Every decision you make in DC, 
has winners and losers. You should never be in a position to, to, to profit from the winners. I mean, that's one of the reasons I don't want DC making decisions. Y'all shouldn't be deciding who the winners and losers are. That's right. Uh, and that's only going to happen if we get out of stand, out of it, their hands. I mean, let's go back to the original purpose of the, the original wording of the Constitution. Federal government, you're only responsible for what the Constitution tells you. Everything else is not your problem. I mean, that's something, a conversation I had today with uh, with one of these, these PACs, and uh, they were asking me if I was pro-life or pro-choice. I'm like, personally, I'm pro-life. But I'm also that the federal government has no damn business getting involved. The Constitution doesn't give them that right. Con- the, the, the government, the federal government should have no freaking say one way or the other. Like, yeah, that's true. So <laughs> how, why does it matter if I'm pro-life or pro-choice? You should ask me what my, my policy was on on rights given to the states. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and, and that's what catches a lot of Republicans. I mean, honestly, I mean, that's what catches them is, and I've had people argue with me because the, the candidate I'm running for is just 100% pro-life. I mean, everything about it, that's all she, that's all she really cares about mm-hmm. uh, is, is, is pro-life. And my whole thing on that is it's not a federal issue. Like, well, it's murderous. Well, you know what? Look, murder is not even a federal crime unless it happens under very specific situations. Why? Because they didn't have that authority. Mm-hmm. Well, what about slavery? Guess what? Slavery, once they came back and said they ended slavery, Congress came back and said, no, you need a constitutional amendment to do it because we don't have that power. Uh huh. So if the federal government couldn't end slavery, why should it have its ability to stop anything else? You know, and you can kind of level with Republicans. You know, if I if I stole your wallet and I took twenty dollars out of it, and um, you know, gave it to a homeless person, you know, is that do I have is that morally right of me? Like, no, of course not. You just stole my money. Like, all right, taxes. And you know, are you a better person for like me giving that money to a homeless person? Like, did you are you morally in the right? You know, can you say that you know you're contributing to you know this homeless person's dinner? Like, not really. So, I mean, they can level with you on that, but I apply the same thing to abortion. You know, I mean, if you think abortion is wrong and I'm in the exact same camp as you, and I was actually surprised to find out a lot of libertarians are, but all right, great. You know, I can say that I'm morally opposed to abortion all day long, but I'm not a better person for telling the federal government, like, hey, I want you to arrest these people. I want you to make this illegal. You know, you're being lazy at that point that you don't get to pat yourself on the back for saying, like, you know, I'm pro-life. If all you're saying is I want the government to take this choice away from somebody, yeah, I mean that's that's been my whole point, and and uh, and it were and, and that answer satisfied the people who were asking because like yeah, that's true. It's not their responsibility. Mm-hmm. The Constitution didn't give them that right because at the same time I'm telling them I disagree with low with Roe versus Wade because I, I don't think there is a constitutional right to an abortion. Sure. Uh. But at the same time, and same time, it's like I don't think the government needs to be involved in that, especially not at the federal level. And why would you care? I say this all the time too. Why would you care how any politician feels about it if there was um, a doctor? Because you know, I think you know, trust doctors and their ethics. Hopefully, 
uh, without bringing up a topic that's going to get us, you know, kicked off the internet. But, you know, you want to trust <laughs> doctors and their ethics. You know, why wouldn't you ask a doctor how they felt about the efficacy and the morality of an abortion? Why would you give half of a crap what any politician says about it? That's really yeah. weird to me. You know, talk to your family, talk to your preacher, talk to your doctor. Makes sense. Talk to a politician about abortion. Really weird. Yeah. Really weird. <laughs> exactly. But you know what? In, in this district, that's a common question. They want yeah, to know where sure. you stand. And uh, luckily for me, I mean, the number of, of single issue voters that for abortion in this district is lower than I thought it was. I really thought this was something I was going to get beat the hell out of. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, most of them are to, to the point of, hey, you know what? I'm just saying the government can't allow it. You can't deny it. Y'all, I think y'all fight for it on the state side, on the state side, but it's not the federal government's responsibility. Man, I love it from the porcupines. You know, the Democrats say you have to believe it's a woman's right. The Republicans say you have to believe, you know, it's murder and it can't happen. And the libertarian position is like, okay, tell your daughter, tell your wife, you know, tell your sister, tell anyone that'll listen, really. But man, that makes it so much easier on you. Like, well, wow. you know what? And this is a, uh, and this is when uh, the way I explained it to Spike when he was here, he loved it. He said he was going to use it. Uh, that that one uh, question and answer I went to, I said where uh, the campaign manager from Michelle Fishbach was there, of course that qu- abortion came up. Mm-hmm. And this is this was all a pretty, a very right-leaning crowd. So I sat here, I said, okay, I got a question for you. How many of y'all think abortion should be outlawed no matter what? And a percentage opened their, held their hands up. How many of y'all think it should be uh, illegal after a heartbeat? A couple more hands. How many think at this point? How many think it when brain activity? How much? How, who thinks it should be illegal? It should never be illegal. And see, now, what I want y'all to look at here, this is a room full of conservatives. You need 60% or, or uh, six, uh, three quarters to get a constitutional amendment passed. Out of this room of conservatives, I couldn't even get half of y'all to decide when it should be illegal. Mm. How do y'all want to pass a constitutional amendment? When a room full of conservatives can't even come to an agreement on what day would be appropriate. (laughs) And and it made them sit back and think. It made them really come back and go, we've been saying we want a constitutional amendment, but what would that amendment look like? I mean, because... I mean, because the same thing, if you're going to be one, you're going to, you say, well, all right is, 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 uh, to be protected no matter what. So you're saying you're okay with no abortion for rape and incest. Well, no, I didn't say that. Is it always, is it most important no matter what, or is it not? There's, there's deformities. Is it okay then? Yeah, well, again, you're just saying it's it's most important no matter what. Is it or is it not? There's, there's some hypocrisy here. Yeah. And uh, it really made people stop and think about it. And when I told Spike about that, he, he just loved it. He's like, yeah, I'm going to use that. that. That one, that's good. I really like that. And, uh, but it's true. I mean, Absolutely. if you can't get a room full of people with the same political uh, beliefs on the same sheet of music, how do you want to get Congress there? Mm-hmm. I mean, so it's best just to leave it alone. 
And that's that that's all great. And that's without getting into the weeds of, you know, prohibition not working. You know, that's without getting into the weeds of do you really want to put these doctors in jail? Do you really want, you know, these gals whipping out the coat hangers? You know, that's that's without getting into that. So uh, that's that's a no win situation when you start getting into a lot of that. But the truth of the matter is the government has never been able to prohibit anything. Mm -hmm. They've been able to make it more expensive. They've been able to put it in a situation where cartels and all can make money off of it but they do not have the power to make everything and people unable to to get something i mean it just it's 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 the uphill battle why fight it let the people educate the people give people real information without a political spin and let them make informed decisions mm-hmm. I mean that that's all that's one thing I keep on talking about with the with with the uh thing that shall not be mentioned of uh because I notice every time I mention it on my page I go down to like ten percent uh I go from hundreds of people liking to like ten or twelve. These oh. <laughs> people are definitely not getting it, but uh that's the same thing with that. Give us the give us the no shit information. Let us make our own decisions. I mean don't don't candy coat it one way or the other so we, we go the way you want us to. Don't yeah. try to manipulate us. I mean, why does nobody trust you? Because everything has a political undertone with you guys. Mm-hmm. And until we get rid of that, you can't lead. You can't lead unless people trust you. And right now, nobody trusts you. So just get out of the way. Which is uh, sir? Because the honest answer, the honest answer, especially early on, is you know we don't know. Yeah, but of course they didn't take that route. Uh, you know it was well, no masks don't work. You know you need three masks. Don't take Trump's vaccine. Uh, you know so the honest then, answer would be then, we then, don't know. Then take, then why don't you want Trump's vaccine? I wonder. I mean, I still get a kick out of every time you see some tweet from some idiot who just completely changes opinions depending on who the the president was. And the vice president of the United States, the vice president of the United States, said she would not, you know, she would urge caution on taking Trump's vaccine. And now you have people with millions of followers being deplatformed for, you know, creating, you know, shall not be named hesitancy. Yep. It just gets all frustrated. I mean, it's like I'll tell people all the time because I get that asked question: "What's your your thoughts on this?" I'm like, I, I'm completely against mandates. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've taken them. You know what? That's because of my situation. I'm older. I'm a fat boy. I've got pre-existing medical intentions uh, things. If I catch it, I'm gonna catch a bad case. Mm-hmm. So you know what? It's worth it to me to, to roll that dice and and. At my age, if it screws something up, guess what? I don't have to deal with it for that long. But again, that, uh, I tell the same people at the same time. If I was a, an 18-year-old buck, great shape, no no conditions, my risk-reward version on it's going to be a lot different than it is now. I probably wouldn't be as willing you, speaking of young bucks, you'd be the perfect person to ask. Uh, something we talk about in the Veteran Caucus all the time is 
a lot of people don't want to see the military look too libertarian because that's really weird. Like, you know what I mean? Like most people who have gone through the military, they want good order and discipline. And, you know, uh, so someone who was, you know, made a career in the military, how do you feel about vaccine mandates for troops and, uh, you know, things of that nature? How like laissez faire can you be in the military? And when, is, when do you have to draw a line and you say yeah. no for good order and discipline, you know, God, you're going to get me in trouble on this one. Well, I mean, I'm really uh, curious. Like I guess you're the best guest we've I, had on for an well, insight. As a, as a former leader, mm-hmm. I'm aware of how much it would affect readiness if I lost 10 or 12% of my troops to COVID at any one time. Mm-hmm. As a leader, I would want to minimize that risk at all costs. I mean, I'd want to minimize that risk. Uh now, so I might even have a different process or thought process on it, depending on what exactly the situation is. Am I a deployable unit? Am I a unit that's getting ready to deploy or deployed? If I am, then guess what? I'm probably going to say, yeah, you probably should. Uh, if you're at a unit back in the States picking up rocks right now because you're not scheduled to do anything for the next year and a half, then... I think it's best to wait until we get better empirical data. Because mm-hmm. if we if we give these other guys the shots and it turns out crappy, I can't have my whole force that way. I've got to, I, I really need to, to differentiate. I really have to have, uh, can't put all my eggs in that basket. Mm-hmm. I mean, we vaccinate everybody and then there's some side effect that we didn't know or some, some, uh, makes you more susceptible to some specific germ that another company, another country can now use as a biological warfare weapon. I mean, I, I never think one size fits all is correct. I mean, but at the same time, I mean, soldiers don't want to hear anywhere they, they lose their op, their, their choices, but guess what? Yeah. We didn't have a choice if we got anthrax or not, <laughs> vaccines or not. Okay. <laughs> we went, you got the anthrax shots. <laughs> Uh, but I've got a lot of concerns with this just because we don't have the empirical data because we haven't had enough time. Mm. We don't know the long-term effects. Can you afford to require this and we have something that comes up in five years that affects everybody? There went all your leadership. Okay. And if it's something you're willing to kick people out of or kick people out over, how many people can you lose? Yeah, I mean, so those are I mean, it's not simple, simple, simple yes or no question. Uh, but again, a, as a military, as a former military leader in Korea, I mean, my thought process on that was I probably want people vaccinated. Gotcha. Because there's been times in in Korea that people don't know how close we came. I, I know of at least one situation where. It was the middle of the night, and they were deciding whether they were sending dependents home the next day. All of them. Full neo evacuation. That's how, and until 11 o'clock at night, they didn't know that answer. So, because uh, they could kick off there at any time. I mean, as military, we know we give up some rights when we sign that dotted line. In effect, we say we're willing to give our lives for our country. 
how can you do that when you're how can you say that and then you say i'm not going to take a vaccine because it may hurt me when i need you to take it to to improve to keep our our, our readiness to defend our country up uh, you know what, and i don't think we'd have this problem again if we didn't have it politicized if we had mistrust if we had actually good information because uh, again I, I mean go to that old farmer that old, that farmer's commercial why don't you trust the government we uh, know a thing or two because we've seen two, thing two. Yeah, a thing or two okay that's you bet. exactly why we don't trust the government I mean, in, in military the, the best one the best ones on it uh I mean, there, you look at, I look at my shot record and I look, there's so many different vaccinations I've got time I've been in, but the difference is most of those have been around so long. All of the issues have been documented. Mm-hmm. People love to throw smallpox out. Guess what? Smallpox vaccines had a recall like in year two or three. There was a bad batch out there that were causing some serious issues. I mean, it wasn't right away. It was two or three years down the road that they, they realized this was an issue. So, I mean, so don't tell me let's talk smallpox unless you really want to talk smallpox. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's a difficult situation. I mean, I, I know there's legislators right now trying to push this banning the government from from doing it, from kicking people out for not taking them, taking it. Uh but I would really like to see them more find a way to work with the people who don't want them, don't mm-hmm. want to, whether it's a matter of, of switching them into non-deployable units in the states or whether it's with the understanding that if the shit hits the fan anywhere and everybody gets ready to deploy, you're getting one or, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, because we're a big enough organization that with the proper, that I think you can, you can manage it. You can manage it, especially now that we're we're ending the wars. We're coming home. Uh, but I also think you need to have a a uh, exemption if you've had COVID. You've got the antibiotics. Why do you need the the, the vaccine? I mean, you've had the real shit. Okay, mm. okay. Well, I mean, so I mean. You should have that exe- that that exception because you have basically got a natural vaccine. Well, and actually a vaccine because if yeah. you've had it and you have the antibodies, you're less likely to get it versus you have the vaccine yeah. where it's you know hopefully and that's a pretty good meme. You know, people compare it to smallpox or polio. It's like, hey, if I've gotten you know two smallpox. Uh, vaccinations and two boosters, and I've gotten smallpox, you know, three times. I'm going to start asking some questions. Yeah, well, and, and that's that's one of my whole issues with this is is just the uh, they they're playing fast and loose with the terminology. Mm-hmm. A vaccine prevents. What we're having now isn't preventing. It's a, it's a pretreatment. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's let's call it what it is. Okay, I mean that's but then that's why one of the reasons why we don't trust the government to tell us one way or the other. I mean, they're literally changing definitions to match what they say. I mean, it's just it's frustrating. I mean, uh, 
this is this is this particular question is one of those ones that that this is where I'm at right now. Now, as information get, changes or as as more information comes to light, that position may may move a little bit. But right now, I think they need to work with people and uh, and put them in units that aren't deploying. Or, of course, then you know soldiers. Then they'll say they they're not getting it just so they don't need to deploy. <laughs> And, you know, but on the flip side of that, there's people, I mean, obviously they volunteered to join the military, you know, they would put their politics aside and they would take, you know, potentially something they they weren't sure if it was safe enough, if it meant them, you know, being able to be in the fight, whether, you know, they're actual a combat unit or anything similar. So, and, And the thing is, this is one of those situations too, where eight out of 10 took the vaccine do I want to send my buddies without me? Yeah. Okay. I mean, it, it's one of those things that they're going to have to, they're going to have to think about it and, or, and, and it needs to be worded on, Hey, you know what? This, this doesn't just protect you, but it protects your buddies. It protects your unit because if shit hits the fan and y'all aren't able to fight, do you want to put that on on everybody else in the unit? Are you comfortable? Yeah. Are you comfortable with doing that? And I think really if it's worded that way rather than a mandate, they'll do the right thing. Yes, sir. My thoughts exactly. I mean, that's that's the – I think Americans as a whole are that way. When you say mandate, you say you have to. Our first instinct is to dig our heels into the ground and say, screw you. I don't have to do anything. Whereas if it's come back and, and you come back with real information, real empirical data, saying this is why – this is what's being offered. This is why we think you should take it. But you know what? It's up to you. Mm-hmm. I think you get a lot more, a lot more people volunteering to do it. I mean, it's the whole thing we say all the time. Good ideas don't require force. I mean, <laughs> Amen. And I mean, just, that- pre- just presenting it that way might get you the result that you want. Because exactly yeah. what you were saying. I mean, it will. I mean, Especially in the military, because we're tight, tight knit groups. We we tend to care about each other more than ourselves. So I think you're you're more willing to. Now you know what you're always going to have your one or two assholes in the group. <laughs> they screw you. You know what? Fine. You know what? You aren't a team player anyway. You probably don't need to be in a unit going downrange if you're not a team player. Uh, sure. But I mean, that's just uh, that's just kind of the way I see it right now. This might blow your mind a little bit. The chief master sergeant of the Air Force, she signed, and I don't even know what you would call that. I mean, she signed an order making it uh, permissible for troops to put hands in their pockets. I saw something about that. It fits that it would be the Air Force, though. It really does. Oh, all of those Air Force guys smiling, playing pocket pool. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, there's that. <laughs> Did you see the meme of the soldier that had uh, the gloves? I don't know if they were sewn or Velcroed onto the outside of their sleeves so that they could have their uh, hands in their pockets, but it looked like their hands were outside of the pockets. No, I'm not. <laughs> you know, soldiers, soldiers are some are yeah. They can come up with anything. I mean, you Just looking you for my chapstick. Of, you get a bunch of E fours together, and you give them a problem to solve. 
you tell them you don't care how it gets solved. It's not a problem anymore. Which, which is kind of funny because that's actually the reputation I had in, in the Army as I moved up the ranks of when you couldn't get something done, get Sergeant Johnson, tell him to get it done, but don't ask him how question, any questions on how it got done. Okay, you don't. It's plausible deniability. It's a very, it's a very important concept. The... There was quite a few uh, Navy on the base. I didn't see a lot of Army when I was in basic training or tech school. Well, actually, so in tech school, there's a, a little staging area, uh, Camp Bullis. And uh, I can't remember what the Army calls it. The Air Force, they would call it like an RTC. You know, you send people there. Uh, the Marines and the Navy, they call it a workup. So it's like a pre-deployment training. You go there and you're actually doing task-specific stuff and you're in an environment similar to what you're going to be in. A mob. Yes, we, yes, sir. Call it. Yep. So I think that's what Camp Bullis is used for. But um, that was one of the places, you know, obviously with Facebook and everything I see, I remember, I think it was maybe Fort Jackson, maybe it was somewhere in Mississippi. They had a drive through chow hall and everybody was like, oh, it's a new army. And, you know, some of the army has some nice new dorms and army recruiters told me that when I was in high school, like, oh, you know, you're not, it's not like stripes. Look at how nice these dorms are. So I was like, okay, you know, the army has like, you know, maybe an unfair reputation, but it can't bullis. Those guys, they got fed prison food. I looked through the windows and the chow hall looked like it was built in the thirties and it looks like it hadn't been painted since the fifties. And, you know, they had the tray with like a scoop of beans, a hot dog, a boiled egg, and like a slice of cheese. And that would be their meals. And I, oh, yeah. I was kind of clutching my pearls at that. Look, that was pretty wild. Look, when I, uh, and this is funny because in uh, 2004, when we deployed to Kuwait, I was with the Texas national guard at the time. So we were scheduled to, to we had to be there for, for January. So in November, they sent us to Fort McCoy, Wisconsin to train for the desert. Okay. They said, just think of it as white sand. Okay. Well, <laughs> uh, like, we were in World War II barracks. I mean, full bays. I mean, the same type of thing you went through basic in, basically. Mm-hmm. I mean, and yeah, these things were, were literally from World War II, same plumbing, same <laughs> and, uh, same thing. When you're out there, I mean, it's, if you're lucky, it was hot. Yeah, hey, I would much rather have an MRE. Uh, that was, it was depressing to see. I had a sergeant, she was a canine handler and, um, she was telling me she was attached to maybe special forces, uh, just maybe they were just regular soldiers, but they were mountain guys. But whenever they're in Afghanistan, she was attached to them, you know, to provide that dog. And she said they were in a fob and she was saying what they ate for every meal was frozen chicken nuggets because they kind of had some say they were able to request stuff, you know, they, you know, and they request, but she was a vegetarian. So I don't remember what she ate. Maybe she got MREs, but she said they had frozen chicken nuggets, uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner in that fob out in the middle of nowhere in Afghanistan. And you know what? I feel so guilty because <laughs> on the big bases in like Kuwait or whatever, you got steak and lobster once, once a week. Yeah. Which is, which is why we, we earned the, the name Fobbits for the most part. Sure. Man, I was more spoiled than you can believe in Greenland. I mean, I missed that place for a ton of reasons. But, you know, the dining facilities there, they weren't even Air Force dining facilities. They were contracted out. And, you know, we would, the cops, 
we would we were very good friends with the cooks because we worked a similar schedule. The uh, the other everybody else on base they had sort of like a regular schedule like Monday fr- through Friday nine to five. But you know the cops would work you know in twelve hour shifts and um, so we got to know the cooks really well. And uh, most of them you know they were just chefs from Denmark. They were all Danish because yeah. uh, Denmark. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know how to say it. I, I say own. They own Greenland the same way we own like Puerto Rico yeah. or some of our territories, commonwealths. I don't know how to put it that way. So most of the civilian contractors were Danish. So the chow halls were Danish and we, we didn't have steak and lobster, but we'd have roast duck, corned beef, prime rib. Um, absolute best, best I ever ate in my life was that year in Greenland. Yeah, I can they had some, I, I used to, when I first graduated high school, uh, I went to college for a semester and drank myself into oblivion. Mm-hmm. Uh, ended up getting a job well, on the tugboats okay. on, uh, on the Gulf of Mexico. They fed you good. I mean, you, yeah, they fed you very well. But I remember on my first ship, my first tug, we, we went through some rough weather and I started looking around. Out of the five-person crew, I was the only one with ten fingers. <laughs> At the end of that tour, I went back to college. Okay, it was. But you know what? You ate damn well, damn good. You you don't see many skinny people on a damn tugboat, but uh, but because you're out there in those hazardous conditions and those bad weather, when they feed you, they feed you good. It's good to know. But yeah, it was. I started looking around, going, "Why am I the only one with all my appendages here?" <laughs> yeah, stuff like that, and that was even basic training for me. And I, I loved the Air Force, um, but it still was a pretty good job. I was, uh, you know, on our marches, you know, just around the base, just because it was San Antonio in you know July and August. I was rethinking my life choices, like you know, maybe maybe college <laughs> wouldn't be that hard, maybe. You know, maybe a job at Burger King wouldn't be that bad. Maybe, you know, in a few years I could be manager, you know. So if nothing else, jobs like that, they uh, they can get you to reevaluate your life a little bit. But, uh, I'm trying to think what else I have to add. I mean, I never run out of words. Granted, this is also, I think, one of the longest podcasts I've been. We're almost at three hours. <laughs> it's one of our longest ones. We did a pretty long one for the uh, Marine Corps' birthday. We had two of them, and uh, okay. Will hopped off, and I told him, you know, I'm, I'm just here for them. I'm going to turn the lights off and lock the door when they leave. Yep. Uh, and, I mean, it's that way for you. If there's anything you need to plug for your campaign or – I think, I mean, I think we, we, we've hit most of it. I mean, just anybody who can, who can help in any way, whether it's uh, – even if it's, it's it's just helping with research, and you know what, this is a part. This is something that came up. Let's brainstorm here. Let's come up with a libertarian solution to this this problem or this issue. Uh, there's so many ways to contribute o- other than money. But granted, money is what we're the shortest on it at any given time. Uh, other than that, I mean, just if you believe in us, let us know. That's do you crazy. have a discord channel i do not have my own discord channel yet this, again that social media and stuff like that's why i really need a social media manager who understands all that stuff better, better than i do it's ridiculous how blessed we've been specifically on discord we'll have someone you know they'll say like hey can you send me a file with like the 
veteran caucus logo like okay yeah i can send you that and then a week later they send us a picture like oh i just made like 200 business cards and uh you know just all this literature you know what i mean like we didn't ask them to do that they asked us and uh maybe discord uh there's a learning curve i'm not good with discord we have people that kind of do that for us but even like a facebook group would be uh maybe a good place for brainstorming ideas like that yeah that would probably work a group rather than a page. It seems like groups, uh, there's more conversation. No, I think that's about it for tonight, man. All right. Well, uh, I appreciate it a lot. And I've been looking forward to this uh, since you were on Not a Real Libertarian. Because yep. uh, I like what you have to say. And uh, if there's anything you need from the caucus or the podcast, uh, let us know. And uh, I wish you uh, lots of really good luck. Thanks, sir. And we don't have any more questions out there. Yeah, I'm concerned now we're not getting the comments. Well, um, I think it's kind of what you were saying earlier. We ran longer than we usually do. But um, I I never there's not any podcasts that I listen to live anyways. I'm more of whenever I'm on a long drive for work, whatever is when I reach for the podcast. So uh, even that's why I was surprised. That's why I was surprised when you said how many how many people you had tonight. Well, this was the first time. this was the first time that when we announced a podcast, people started asking, where's this going to be? Usually people do not care when we announce, you know, for this podcast anyways, people will tune in, but they don't ask questions beforehand. So I wasn't too surprised to see it, but uh, man, I sure do appreciate it. Thank you for having me, sir. Sir, see you next time. Hopefully we run into each other again soon. I hope so. And I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And you got to tell, well, he, he, he missed out. I sure will. See you later, <laughs> Bull. Thank you, man. Bye. All right, guys. That was Bull Johnson. Um, I said it. I was excited. You guys were obviously excited. Let me see. One thing I forgot to mention earlier is Redemption Tactical. If you go to redemptiontactical.com for your tactical gear. Um, of course, Jenny, let us know in the comments, but I didn't even hop on that fast enough. Uh, do not forget that. Also, notarealpodcast.com is the website they have merch like uh this hoodie right here um lots of good merch on that and then if i can go back to i've got to find stuff guys you don't understand the struggle here's where to find us and it's everywhere google podcast apple podcast anchor spotify twitter twitch facebook youtube if they don't pull us off for speaking the truth and as always, remember the Libertarian Party Veteran Caucus. Um, same thing if you want to know where to find us. It's everywhere. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Discord. And uh, we have a link tree posted on all that stuff now. So uh, thanks a lot for listening. I'll see you next time.